Hi, I'm James Rabaniak, and thanks for watching Venture Brothers, and enjoy listening to Hench Live Pirate Radio, anywhere you find your podcasts. Have a scientastic day! And go. <laughs> Welcome out, ladies and gentlemen, to another fantastic episode of Conjectural Technologies. I am one of your hosts, the inimitable Professor Brock Savage. With me, as always, is my longtime companion, the cuddly, the adorable, the fun blend of Fozzie Bear and Steve Jobs, known as the Baron Beast Lamode. And we are joined, as always, by our resident dinner theater denizen, our, a very Beatles-esque looking vaudevillain, a man who might make you all feel very lucky that he drank milk earlier. So, we have a very special episode for you, but here's the catch. We don't know which episode it is yet, because right now, whenever you are hearing this, we have opened up the lines through time. And at this moment, for exactly one minute, we are going to allow you to donate to our show via GPay and Beast, how would they do that? Uh, they would do that at uh, if you have GPay, it's essentially the same as our our email. Uh, conject was a conjectural tech uh, podcast at gmail.com. Uh, or you could just uh, send it to us directly on uh, Anchor, our Anchor.fm. Uh, so check us out there. Okay, so. Those of you who are listening, you now have just a few minutes. We are going to allow you, the listener, to vote on which episode we should do. Are we going to take a look at the episode that I believe Beast is really pulling for? So if you like Beast, donate as much as you can during this segment to find out, to make sure that his episode is the one that we covered tonight because we are prepared for both and that episode would be beast uh that episode would actually be uh the incredible mr brisby uh i want to go to brisby land who doesn't okay. want to go to brisby so if you want to hear us do the incredible mr brisby then you should donate right now to at conject tech podcast through GPay, or you can do it through the anchor.fm uh, to our anchor.fm page. Now, Vaud, you have a very different opinion about which episode we should cover tonight. And that episode, I believe, would be in the UN alphabetic phonetic spelling, V E N, perhaps a seven niner. We would, uh, we would be looking at the much uh, superior episode, uh, Victor Echo November. Um, I mean, come on, come on, people, show some love. So if you have Vaud in your heart the same way some of us have him in our colons, I'm sorry, I say some of us like that's not Mrs. Vaud, but you get the idea. So if you have Vaud in your heart, go ahead and make your donation on his behalf through GPay right now. We're gonna go ahead and give you guys 30 seconds to do this. Uh, Vaud, I want you to count this down regularly, starting from 60 going to one. Beast, 
I want you to go from one to 360, but at six times the speed. All right, go. All right, stop. Perfect. It looks like our results are in. <laughs> Through time and space, our listeners have voted. And as the tie-breaking vote, I'm going to go with my favorite episode. Which you'll find out if you donate right now. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, with that being said, actually, I I am inclined to go ahead and go with this in order. Uh, I am fully prepared to do either. Uh, Brisby Land is an inferior episode. It Uh, is. It is. If Brisby Land was a comic book, it'd be worth more. Because no one bought it. Uh, No, because it's the first appearance of Molotov Cocktees. Yeah, and no one bought it. Like... You know as well as I do, that is the only way that comic books get valuable when no one buys them. Like, the first ep- issue of Spawn, great. Everybody has that. You have an issue, like, 53? No one has that. There were fewer of them made, and far fewer in prime condition. Uh, yes and no. Um, a lot of significance happens, uh based on like there's a crazy like set of variables right like also the older the book how many issues are surviving uh and so like if it's an older book lower quality is is uh more acceptable and higher value uh whereas like you know a spawn newer book right like that number one had better be like near mint you know in its cgc rating and all that and i mean you could get it signed verified and all that stuff and that'll boost it I'm about to blow your mind. You ready for this? What's up? Spawn is as old right now as X-Men number one was when we started collecting. Oh, wow. And uh, they're about to, uh, I say they, Todd McFarlane's actually about to do a Spawn, like a series of Spawn titles for the first time. There's going to be like four breakout titles uh, in the Spawn universe. Oh, damn. Yeah, one of them's going to be entirely internet-based. Uh, it's going to be called Spawned. <laughs> <laughs> Wordplay. Uh, but I digress. So, our voters have spoken and are continuing to speak with their gracious support. And let's go ahead and tackle the far, far inferior significantly less quality but interesting to people who really enjoy inside baseball episode of the incredible mr brisby airing on august 28 2004 now before we jump into this episode proper uh i do want to point out a couple of interesting things number one in the early draft of this episode brisby based on Roy, uh, based on Disney, right, was planning to launch a massive new satellite network to take over the world's television entertainment. His plan was to have been thwarted by either the boys or Dr. Venture who find in the Brisby vaults his original Busy Bee cartoons from the 20s, which were, as Disney's early Mickey shorts were, utterly racist in nature. 
Then they play the cartoon on the news network's inaugural broadcast, which sends the world into a revolt against the Brisbane Empire and pisses Mandalay off enough to go after his boss. However, uh, according to uh, Jackson Public, he said it would have been a very touchy bit of satire to try to handle, and I honestly don't know if I'm a developed enough satirist to have pulled it off respectfully. Can we just pause and reflect for just a moment? about the quality of a man who says, how do I pull off making fun of racist cartoons respectfully enough? Like, it's not just, yeah, I could sit here and like kick it to death. Anybody could do that. But how do I make it interesting and worthwhile for society as a whole? And I appreciate that. And instead, we got the episode, we got the writing, we got the arc that sets up way more that you think it's going to in this very special episode of Conjectural Technologies, a Venture Industries podcast. Gary, nobody cares about the Venture Brothers. People care. Well, just be quiet. All right, fine. People really need to know this stuff. You know how I can tell you're a good dad? Because every episode is very special. (laughs) You know, Beast, you're my very special episode of Blossom. I was hoping you'd say that. Uh, So this is the first episode in our joint boys block. We have really put off doing the boys as a character that's the most obvious set of things uh you know in terms of the show the show's named after them in a sense right so here we are finally At first <laughs> right <laughs> but yeah here we are uh finally you know One year later. cover yeah hank and dean um and so we're actually going to do this in a in a couple of different ways uh this they're actually going to have three blocks total so we're going to do this first block uh, where, you know, we're doing a series of episodes based on Hank and Dean as a unit. Now, if you've watched far enough in the show, you see that that unit changes. I mean, you know, that's just the nature of growing up when you are finally allowed to grow the fuck up. Uh, so we wanted to take a snapshot of, of like the, the best of Hank and Dean as, as their, you know, kind of hardy boys unit. As their uh, dank, as if you will. <laughs> Dang. Teen. No. Teen. No. That sounds like an unwanted, like, flap of skin. That you <laughs> I, personally, I thought it sounded like an all girl indie band. <laughs> Opening for Ween. Teen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, they are like, yeah, they can shred their instruments, but they can also cut you at a gas station with a carpet knife. So, this episode, The Incredible Mr. Brisby, 
is an homage to the 1964 film set in 1942, The Incredible Mr. Limpet, starring Don Knotts. And it is a movie kind of like Pete's Dragon, which features film and animation. And where Don Knotts turns into an animated fish and helps defeat Nazis. Oh. Yeah. This is where it gets computer. Stop. I had set a reminder. Guess what tomorrow is? Uh, my son's birthday. Holy shit. I didn't know that. I'm a terrible <laughs> godfather, uncle thing. Um, it's also Twin Peaks Day. More importantly, it's Twin Peaks Day. <laughs> uh, sorry. So, yeah. Uh, go on. I'm not thinking about anything else except what you're saying. And, and, and Twin Peaks. So uh, here's here's where this gets really interesting. There was going to, uh, like, the first thing I started thinking about when I read this title was how in the world did they see this movie? It came out in 1964. It featured four incredible new hits, which weren't, right? Um, so how did they see it? It was released by Warner VHS in 1990. This is where it gets really interesting. There was almost a remake in 1997 with Jim Carrey. It was confirmed in 1998 with Steve Odekirk directing, but the live action and animation results were disastrous and both of them bailed. All right? See, that's what they brought, this is where it gets even crazier. I had just known Incredible Mr. Limpet from watching Disney as a kid, like in the early hours of the morning on like a yeah. Sunday. <laughs> it's about to get even crazier. Once Steve Odekirk and Jim Carrey left, they brought in Mike Judge to write and direct it with Robin Williams, Chris Rock, Mike Myers, and Adam Sandler as the cast. That is like a snapshot of the late 90s right there. Hang on. It gets even weirder. All right. They were going to do another remake in 2010 with Zach Galifianakis as the lead, and the director they tapped to do it was Richard Richard Linklater. What? Right? Yeah, the guy from Boyhood and Waking Life and all those yeah. films with uh, Ethan Hawke, yeah. No, you yeah. know what, okay, here's the thing. He does have experience with animation and live action. Well, and but... I do love it when a director does something way off suit. Uh, going back to the the whole Twin Peaks thing, there's actually a David Lynch movie on Disney Plus called The Straight Story, and it has Harry Dean Stanton, and it is not this weird whatever, uh, but and, and it's based on a true story. Um, this guy rides a lawnmower from like Kansas to Wisconsin or some such um, to go visit his brother who just fell and hurt himself, and it's like this like stunning character piece and like you know he meets people along the way and you know the 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 humanity and all this that and the other right it's absolutely nothing like your crazy surrealist you know uh the it's fishes like in the percolator arnofsky forest gump <laughs> yes <laughs> all right so hang on so i would totally go see a richard linkletter fucking incredible mr limpet this is where it gets even crazier because I'm not done yet. It was going to star, right? Other than Zach Galifianakis, John Hamm, Danny McBride, 
Sarah Silverman, Kevin Hart, a young Josh Gad, and Key and Peele. I was going to call Kevin Hart. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, if anyone was attached to this project, somehow one way or another, Kevin Hart was attached to this thing. So with all of that being said, why the fuck do they want to keep remaking this movie so bad? Because Beast, as the only one of us with a deep personal connection to this film, have you been waiting with fish baited breath to see this remake? No, not at all. Zero. Uh, <laughs> no, like the whole time you're telling me about this, in my mind, I'm like, why are they throwing this fucking money at a bed knobs and broomsticks remake? Yeah. Because yeah. uh, Kevin Smith is apparently the only one who wants to make that. Uh, so they're just going to. Well, keep and that who way. do you get to replace Angela Lansbury? Like a hot, like 40s Andal Angela Lansbury. Like. I mean, I, I like the you know, Marvel's approach to it was, why does Aunt May have to be old? I, I, I like where that's going. So uh, all of that put out, like with all of that aside, I just wanted to let our listeners know why the title of this episode is even a thing. I'll because, be honest with you. Uh, I thought it was a play on the talented Mr. Ripley. As and opposed a lot, to uh, that's what I initially thought as well. Like, it just, you know, like, just, oh, yeah, okay, this guy's incredible. Like, it's just, it seems like a, like an old throwbacky thing. But, uh, yeah, it is way more throwback and way more on purpose. And I'm guessing that the writers found this during that 1990 VHS release. And they're like, this is the weirdest thing. Like, why, you know, they, or they were just watching Disney late at night, like, sitting up, drinking, chain-smoking cigarettes, and watching, you know, old Disney Don Knotts movies, as one does. Well, back in that day, everything else would have been, like, infomercials if it yeah. even was on air at that point, because, uh, yeah, kids, back in the day, TV wasn't 24 hours all the time. Uh, streaming and all that's made everything a lot nicer. <laughs> yeah. um, so, with all of that being said, we Don't begin our that. episode with a scene of what appears to be Africa and the X-1 landing. The boys sleeping inside the jet wake up and start getting all excited about being in Africa. Hanks exclaims, dude, look, elephants. And then Dean pulls out what is one of Beast's favorite parts of this entire episode. Beast, what is it that, Hank, that <laughs> Dean pulls out? Well, okay, I will tell you what it's not first. It's not zoo books, which means more to my childhood uh, than, than, you know, uh, Jackson and Doc. Because you have to remember, millennial, right? They're Gen Xers. So I had to do a little bit of research and I've seen one of these before, usually at yard sales, right? <laughs> it was a World Wildlife Federation. Uh, yeah, the wrestling. Box. Yeah, no. What? <laughs> WWF, bro. So this was uh, the other double... WWF, like, see, I don't, I was a WCW guy. Anyway, uh, yeah, it was this green file card box with, like, just info about animals, like, you collected or, they, you didn't even have to collect them, they gave you this whole thing, so instead of a book, they're like, here's a, here's a file box, kid, go be an accountant one day. Um. <laughs> well, it kept them safe, right, because you know how kids are, they throw stuff. 
right? They like stuff falls on things. Like it was a box that could get thrown into a toy bin and keep the cards inside. Well, I mean, I kind of get that, but when you say throw stuff, like here's a bunch of loose pages, kids, like on really nice cardstock. Go. <laughs> so uh <laughs> there Hank is commenting on the animals. Dean is combing through his little file box of uh, World Wildlife Foundation information cards. And it's like, oh yeah, that's- a rain He pulls out a Macho Man card. That's Loxodaca Africana. You can tell which ones are the males because they're the one with the tusks. Hank's like, I got no problems with which one's the male, bro. Check out the fifth leg on that beast. Dean's like, it's called a trunk. Hank says, you're, it's called, you're a spaz. That's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> Right. So uh, right out the bat, uh, if we're using this episode to explore their relationship, what can we tell about their relationship within the first 20 seconds of this episode? They're a oh. classic, uh, they're, they're, they're totally classic brother setup of, um, you know, you have the one who's a little bit more straight-laced and it, it just as like simple character study you have the, the simple more straight-laced and then the the jock uh the the bickering back and forth the different ideal sets about what we're paying attention to when we open our eyes and look around um they could not be more opposite of each other uh but at the same time you can tell that also they get thrown into completely bizarre situations together all the time because it's hey dude we're in africa and it's straight rolling yeah uh, their 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 relationship doesn't change because holy crap we're in africa nope, this is just a day in this kid these kids lives yeah absolutely and no, uh, they're, they're very like classic odd couple right and one thing i, I really enjoy about this specific one like uh one's very much Beatles right that's that's Dean the other one's very much Rolling Stones right that's Hank you know one Zach Morris one's AC Slater like they're very polar on purpose um Dean is not Zach Morris I was gonna say one's more Carlton and one's more <laughs> <laughs> one's more Fresh Prince yeah well no no see we can't we can't say Fresh Prince because again everybody's like way too cool on that show for either like to metaphor either like either of those boys period like <laughs> um do you remember the anime scried no no your little brother loved it i remember talking about it with him back in the day oh okay yeah i, I vaguely yeah uh, i like that dynamic like if you took hank and dean and made them anime characters and gave them powers that's what their dynamic would have been like one, like straight laced is a great example of it, but like for lack of a better word, afraid and using, and the other one suffers from a lack of fear. Like it is straight up Apollonian and Dionysian. They are in summary, the entire neuroses of all of Western culture distilled into one bickering brother relationship. Well, that, oh man, wow. You just kind of blew up that movie onward for me. Uh. <laughs> see i always looked at him uh since the first time i started watching the show back in the day was this is what would happen if uh tommy and chucky were actually brothers like... <laughs> <laughs> that is perfect that is perfect you know what ignore everything i said 
We are going with Vaughn's. Like just I get, like just strike it from the record. Uh, like that we Vaughn, yes, that you have nailed it. One Thank of them sir. is a jaded David Spade, and the other is a skinny Chris Farley. Oh, we're on different tracks. Tommy and oh Tommy I, and Chucky. I was going Rugrats. Okay. Got it. And you're yep, yeah, and you're on the back to the uh, the '90s comedians and the snapshot of time from uh, the Lipid stories. On on the outside of this, this is incredible. You could tell where you both were at the '90s. <laughs> 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 like you know where you know where your 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 that wow where your youth yeah. fell. There we go. Yeah, uh, I, you know what I uh, I'm gonna yeah there you go because uh, when you said at first like my brain clicked a little bit because when you said chucky i thought you were talking about the chucky doll and i was trying to rack my brain for a horror doll tommy or something like that and i was like oh no tommy like tommy I was like okay yeah so but i digress uh reptar is ragnar the burninator so burninating the countryside i get you We've learned a lot about these boys from the get-go. And then we get to see their father's interaction with them. And obviously we ran with uh, Doc Venture as our very first character study when we were exploring the Venture universe. And this is one of those moments where Doc Venture reveals himself in summary, in full. Like he accidentally the whole things himself in these next few moments. So, <laughs> Dr. Venture is turning to Brock. He's like, Brock, get your train gun ready on my signal. Those two are going to be bouncing off the walls if they figure out where we are. <laughs> okay. And then a voice comes on the radio telling them that his assistant, Mandalay, will escort them. Dr. Venture tries to cut him off, but the voice reveals that they are not in Africa, but in the greatest place on earth, Brisby Land. That's when they roll the opening credits, all right? The boys are crazy excited about visiting Brisbyland, right? It's essentially like Disneyland, but not copywritten. So it's Brisbyland, okay? It's like, this is going to be Fat City, which is totally a reference. Dean's like, I'm all, all over that teacup ride. And Dr. Richard says, boys, halt, you are all, all over no such thing. You both have to stay on the X1 right? Hank, not happy about this, says, what, are you on the rag? And Dr. Venture's is like, it's impossible for me to be on the rag. I can't believe I'm going to argue about this with you. Just because of that, you have to stay on the X1. This is a classic parent move. <laughs> I don't want you to do something. You're upset about me not wanting you to do something. I use your outrage over me not wanting you to do something as an excuse to make you feel guilty and mad at yourself about not being able to do the thing that you wanted to do that I didn't want you to do in the first place. That's just good parenting. <laughs> Set the punishment and then name the crime. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Nice. Well, see, that's uh, uh, the, the trick is to rule with like an iron fist of fear wrapped in cotton candy served in an iron plastic bag of uh, shame-ing them. 
this is your fault. Here's this really cool thing you didn't get to eat. And then here's my metal fist. Like it's a, there are layers. And yeah, Doc Venture, just a, just a horrible father. It's just a bad father. Like at any point in time, he could have been like, all right, boys, I've got this meeting. I've made arrangements for you to go hang out and do this. Or perhaps maybe my bodyguard can take you while I meet in Brisby land with the head of Brisby land. But no, no, Doc decides he's going to take Brock with him and the boys have to sit and watch everybody ride on roller coasters and the teacups. Okay, so as we're here at this little crux point, uh, we're doing the boys, but we're talking about how terrible of a daddy is. Are either of you surprised the boys turn out for whatever your opinion is, good or not good? Are you surprised they ended up where they did? Because, like, I think Hank, on his whole arc, kind of cutting all the way to the end, did better than he should have for the dad he had. I don't know where I would say Hank has ended up, but I, I feel like he's doing as well as he could for a dad he had. Well, you I know what? Like, Hank did have a little bit more of like an effervescence in general throughout the, the whole ordeal of, of the, you know, what we've seen in the show and heard all the things they referenced, right? And then Dean really like gets run down by the whole experience, right? And then he has to go into his moody goth phase. And so, I mean, yeah, no, like, uh, from from a parenting perspective, very much like Hank's got that kind of either ignorance is bliss or this like iron resiliency and you can't tell which. <laughs> and then Dean's like a human chihuahua. Like if you like talk too loud around him, he's going to pee on your carpet. Hank always reminded me of, there's an episode of King of the Hill where uh cotton tries to break bobby and he can't do it at the military academy and uh hank's just like well you can't break him because he's just sort of putty or mud or something <laughs> like that and you, you know you can build it up but it didn't fall back down but it's still and that's why i've always sort of viewed our hank was just like no matter what happens around that kid like he just sort of blobs back into hank by the end of the episode because you can't you can't undo that like <laughs> I actually have the bat. I actually have a theory of learning disorder. Dean. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I actually have a theory about Dean that I'm actually gonna as to why I think Dean is the way he is. That I'm gonna save until the end. Uh, I'm sorry, not Dean, but Hank. That I'm gonna save until the end of our Hank block. Like I'm, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna throw it out. Um, um, so to me, like Hank is. Uh... I, actually, and you shouldn't throw yours out now either. Hmm. We're at the beginning of a nine-episode block. Ish. <laughs> so, uh, I, but suffice to say, we are getting a whole lot about them very early. Um, so, as the boys are heading back up the ramp to go into the X1, Doc and Brock are, <laughs> like, saying they're talking to the boys, and the dean's like, black guy. And then they turn around and it's Mandalay, a very large and very silent Mandalay to Named lead after them Mandalay to their destination. Uh, so Mandalay is actually two separate puns. So Mandalay is uh, Mandalay is a a cross between Manute from Sin City, 
Remember him? No. Big. Uh, not not Ving Rhames. Uh, yeah, it was it was Ving Rhames, right? In Sin City. No, was it Michael Clark Duncan? Not Michael. Michael. Clark. Oh yeah. Wait. Uh, yep, I'm looking at the picture. Yep, Michael Clark Duncan. Okay, yeah. And then he was uh, played by Dennis Haysbert in the other one. All right. So he is a cross between that and the character Punjab from Little Orphan Annie. Hmm. So... The boys go back into the jet. Mandalay takes them to the office of Mr. Brisby. Oh, and by the way, real quick, this is not the only Sin City reference we get this episode. There are two big ones. All right. So uh, they get to meet uh, Mr. Brisby, the owner of Brisby Land. So uh, Doc goes into the office, right? And Mandalay and Brock stay outside the office. Uh, Brisby is sitting in a chair facing a fire, his back to the viewer, in this case, Doc. And uh, Doc goes in, the door shuts. Doc walks up, and then Mr. Brisby turns around. <laughs> um, Vaughn, I feel like you might be able to. Can you explain what happens? With the. Um, the reveal. Wait, are we talking about the. the Mr. Brisby. Oh, his, the, the, the face? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, I thought we were going to talk about that. It's not nice to talk about people's looks. Um, <laughs> All right. So a beast would, I know you have no qualms or compunctions about making fun of someone. <laughs> would you like to go in on this? Uh, I mean, I've been, I was making fun of Dick Clark for years. Uh, what's another stroke victim, right? Um, <laughs> no, uh, yeah, no, that's the, the big reveal. Um, and this is one of the funniest, like this whole thing kills me. Like Brisby talking through his teeth the whole episode. <laughs> you know, like, just the, and the things that he had, like a voice actor had to say these things. <laughs> <laughs> and so he whips around and he looks aggressively shocked. Like you and see... his teeth are linked, locked together. His eyes are wide open. He's like, "Welcome to the happiest place on earth." And like, this is just the best phrase. And uh, Doc has the best response, perfect response. And I still say this to this day: "Holy damn it, Christmas!" <laughs> like there are two that I got from like obscure media. "Holy damn it, Christmas!" And fuck shit Jesus. Uh, if you can tell me where fuck shit Jesus is from, like I'll give you a thumbs up. Uh, I, I wrote a screenplay about fuck shit Jesus 20 years ago. Um, uh, uh, lucky so, number 11. Dude tells like a whole story and guys like, wow, fuck shit Jesus. Yeah, fuck shit Jesus is right. <laughs> and it's just one of those things that bounces like, you know, holy damn it Christmas. If I were to describe to our listeners what Brisby looks like, the closest example would be the arch nemesis from the movie Hannibal. The guy's in a wheelchair, right? Like, I feel like this episode is a, like, they're, 
they're hitting the same points. They may even be referencing it. He's in a wheelchair. He can't really move much. He's sitting up straight. His face is contorted into this rictus grin, like the Joker. Like just the face is, the eyes stretched back wide, like the skin on his forehead is being like jacked up. And his mouth is this like rictus grin with his teeth showing. And he's just this emaciated figure in an electric wheelchair. Uh, they did I, a great version of it on the uh, the NBC Hannibal show. Um, they did an uh, I think it was a full season arc with him on it, and uh, the makeup they did on I was genuinely surprised they let that fly on network television every week. Um, dude, if it was like if you crossed a burn victim with the Joker and Stephen Hawking, and trapped it underneath an unstoppable metal Lincoln. <laughs> <laughs> So what is it that uh, Doc starts screaming, Brock out in the hallway starts getting up, but looks at Mandalay and sits back down. Like there's, there's very clearly tension developing between these two. Um, it turns out Brisby uh, fell victim to an animatronic accident, which caused him to be trapped under a metal Lincoln for two hours, enough to give anyone a stroke. Dr. Venture is okay, then introduced- like, Let's not gloss over this. This is one of the most, fa- like, this is a reference to one of the most famous, especially, like, if you go to Disney World and you're excited about this, odds are, A, I'm friends with you, and B, you're a loser. Uh, <laughs> the Hall of Presidents. <laughs> like, that was one of my favorite things. I was like, sweet, Hall of Presidents are like, the fuck, man? Like, this is- you're 13, you want to go to the Hall? Yeah, no, Hall of Presidents, now. Like, uh, and it was awesome. Um, but that was one of the more, you know, famous Disney things. I don't know if they've put in a, a, oh, shit. Let's just take a minute and think about, for a second, an animatronic Donald Trump in the Hall of Presidents. <laughs> uh, they did it. Calling all the other presidents losers. <laughs> and I want to say he complained about the likeness. Uh yeah, I, I'm almost certain I've seen the news article about it. Yeah, I feel he's, he's like Donald Trump would complain about any statue of him that wasn't like buff. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like, do you know how the old emperors, like the Roman emperors, would stick their heads on top of statues of Zeus? Like, they just wanted themselves depicted as Zeus. I feel like Trump is probably the same way. Like, in his mind, when he looks at something that isn't an ideal, it feels less good to him and makes him instinctively, intuitively, like less open to it. Like, I do, that dude has one of the healthiest self images of anyone you've ever heard of. You know, man, uh, it's very Winston Churchill, right? That's one of my favorite self portraits, and you can't actually see it because they, they burned it after he died. Uh, because he hated it so much. <laughs> but like the, the parliamentary commissioned uh, portrait of Winston Churchill was done by like a, a modern artist. Um, and he hated it because he, it, it was an accurate depiction. It was a man, you know, run down by, you know, running the country through two world wars, you know. Um, it was a very reminiscent of, uh, you know, the, the Lincoln portrait, right? Um, 
but like yeah he he just loathed the damn thing because it wasn't glorious uh you know oh by the way speaking of more british things uh vod are you familiar with lyle's golden syrup no so i discovered this shit and it's made in england and it is fucking incredible <laughs> it's like an alternative to like pancake syrup uh, but like uh, uh, it, interesting fact like you know why they probably have it as an alternate to maple syrup you cannot find maple syrup in a uh, British grocery store like you can here like there's like maybe one or two bottles of like super fancy imported like they're putting the flag of the country it's imported from and making a big deal if it's either Belgian or Canadian syrup and it's like ridiculously expensive um it might be a thing that's slowly changing but i know for sure in the 90s and early 2000s like you couldn't find syrup and i would go over there every year and just be like i like pancakes and syrup like how how is that hard and it was difficult <laughs> so Breakfast why and that was the british minute yeah why is dr fincher here well before we get there uh, we first have to offer Dr. Venture some warm panda's milk, right? They exchange pleasantries. And then Risby introduces him to his longtime companda, Ling Ling, or Lily, sorry. Whom he and won from, from David, David Bowie in a trivia contest years before the big trivia craze. But then Bowie always was a trendsetter. So now, I know you got so, feelings about this beast. Well, I have questions. That's what I have. Okay, as somebody who has been to and even executed a handful of trivia nights on his own, and uh, you yourself have done multitudes of trivia nights, when did this begin as like a, a, a bar thing that people did? They actually showed up in the UK, like pub trivia showed up in the UK during the 70s. Um, it became a very popular British pastime. And in fact... I can, I can tell you how popular this was even very recently by reminding you of one commercial. Do you remember back before smartphones? Okay, so 2006, like this show was on when there would be commercials for trivia answering companies where you could call and for a price they would give you an answer to any question that you had. One of them was called KGB. Like it was literally, yeah. do you remember these? That is yeah. how popular trivia nights were. Interesting. Okay? So that right there kind of gives you a sense of what this was. There were literally multiple businesses right before the rise of smartphones that had set up a pay option so that you could win your trivia night by cheating. And I'd like to believe trivia was actually started by like David Bowie on like a ton of drugs in his like basement. And he's got like a bar and like some, uh, you know, <laughs> trivial pursuit cards and he's making them answer questions for drinks. Right. <laughs> So that's, uh, you know, we, this is where we get one of my, I think this is actually probably my favorite line of the entire episode. 
that's where Brisby says, now that we've exchanged pleasantries and hot panda milk, let's get down to business. <laughs> so um, you fresh panda milk in your office? I feel like this line right here, like this is something the ladies man would say. You know what I mean? Oh, like, <laughs> hey girl, now that we've exchanged pleasantries and hot panda milk, let's get down to business, right? So back at the X1, the boys are not happy. Dean is trying to keep himself occupied by identifying various animals in the park around the X1. Um, one of which he doesn't have a card for. We'll get back to that later. Um, outside Brisby's office, Brock is trying to have conversation with Mandalay. Mandalay is a man of even fewer words than Brock is. Uh, it's just not happening. And inside the office, Brisby finally reveals why he's asked Doc there. Doc's super excited about this meeting, but this meeting is not going to go the way he thinks it is. Because... He asks Doc about cloning, at which point Doc gets real defensive, like the kind of defensive that you'd get when you think the room is bugged and they're trying to entrap you. He's like, no, Congress banned cloning. I'd never do that. Right? Like real obvious about it. Go ahead, Vaughn. So I, I, I didn't clock this as I was doing my rewatch. It wasn't until I was actually listening to uh, the uh, Venture Sisters because they've got... Um... Uh, somebody popping in as a first-time watcher, and I got re-reminded that the cloning wasn't an out-and-out -out thing that everybody knew about at this point yet, and um, I was like, okay, so when uh, watching this for the first time, that is going to strike a little weird. Um, it was almost the same thing with Brisby, like the reveal at the beginning for me, where I was like, yeah, Brisby's this weird face <laughs> dude, but if it's your first run through, you're going to be like, whoa, freaky dude. Uh, asking about cloning like the amount of questions this episode would have brought up for you on your first run through like this is a it, it is a very striking episode um a lot of big minor weird reveals and a lot of just onward weirdness that you now know that you're gonna have to be sort of uh prepared for uh the when the when the person turns around they might have a interesting face uh be be polite Keep a straight yeah. one. <laughs> East, as somebody who's on the receiving end of that incredulity, how would you uh, approach this? Like this. No, uh, <laughs> no, um, no the, the whole setup here is, is really interesting because I hadn't really paid attention to it. Because again, uh, the whole idea of like the, the venture verse right out of the gate is subverting your expectations in kind of that Mike Judge Beavis and Butthead way. So when he says cloning, is that a throwaway line? Well, now we know. But at the time, I'm just like, whatever, right? Um, but They're I also, also throwing so much at you. That's actually one of the things that made the Venture Brothers so rewatchable. It gets so dense so quickly. And it's one of those things where the throwaway lines often end up being way deeper than you think they were. The Brisby well, wallet, uh, or was it the Brisby wallet or the Brisby, was the stripper or the prostitute dress like Brisby <laughs> or something in the, uh, the, the, the awful pilot, uh, terrible yeah, It was secret. the Brisby wallet, yeah. It was the Brisby wallet, okay. I, I knew they, that like Brisby got clocked right off the bat and you're just like, okay, and let's just watch all these pieces fall into the, damn and by the end of like what season two the mythology is so deep 
uh, I can't think of any other animated show that's this comedic that ends up with that much mythology that quickly. Well, and in uh, in that whole exchange, something we kind of glossed over a little bit, um, talking about like the quote unquote like generational abuse of the ventures here, right? So we're seeing what Doc is doing, inflicting on the boys in real time, right? And and now we have like a flashback of Rusty uh, like doing the rides, like in the whole exchange with Brisby, like testing the rides as a kid. And like yeah. it's not going well. It looks like a tiny astronaut, like yeah. you know, like on a faulty ass, like you know, test go round. Um, yeah. and and then that's kind of when you get like the whole, you know, I, I think that's the whole package right there in like you know a few seconds. So you saw what happened to to Rusty to make him the way he is, and now you're seeing what he's doing to these kids. Like this is the, I, I feel like this little microcosm it's is nice a clear thesis of the show. Like. This is the the psychological dangers of adventuring. (laughs) Well, and it's not just that. It's the cycle of abuse. You know, it's this was done to me. So I do this to my kids because that's what I think you're supposed to do. You know, or I want to visit on someone else the same horrors that were visited upon me because then it puts me in this position of power and authority I never had at my most vulnerable. And, you know, there you, you see it play out in a lot of different ways. Uh, and uh, that's why I don't play Fortnite anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Doc is not having it. He's like, I threw away those notes. Basically like, no, you didn't. You've been riding your dead father's coattails for years. Like ever since you took over Venture Industries, profits have gone zippity doo da right? Uh, There is no, you know, Doc Ventures failing miserably. Now, uh, in the the age of Disney Plus, we need to touch on what a zippity fucking doodah is. um, Well, Beast, go right ahead. Hang on, my cat. (laughs) A zippity doodah is not a cat unless your cat is a lawyer. I was going to say, so, is there a filter that makes my cat look like a lawyer? That'd be great. Yeah, that'd be amazing. Um, no, uh, so Zippity What is that lawyer doing in the corner? <laughs> Are those uh, briefs legal? Why is the lawyer rubbing his ass on the floor? <laughs> no, um, Zippity Doodah comes from Song of the South, the infamous, infamous Song of the South, uh, which was a Disney film kind of like. Uh, I guess like a more racist version of like Fantasia with like live action. <laughs> I don't know. I've never seen it. Uh, Wait, really? Only, I can only speculate. Yeah. Wow. So, so I've seen the number. I've seen a clip of, of the zippity doodah. Wow. Sketch. So that was after, so it was before your time. All right. Oh, uh, very much before. I mean, I, I, uh, I, I, like, I, I watched it. Like it, it had one of the best Disney songs ever. Zippity doodah. Right. And it's, you know, it's live action and animation put together. Your description of like a Southern Fantasia is quite apt. And the whole premise was a celebration, if you will, of some of the stories and elements of Southern culture with an emphasis on including some of these, uh, for lack of a better word, slave tropes, right? 
Like it was an attempt to make Cosby before Cosby was a thing. Like they were trying to be syncretic about it. They just, it, they missed the mark by like 50 well, feet. It, it was, it's just, it, and you know, man, it, it's a hard thing to do when you are coming out of a culture where racism is so ingrained. Like it's hard, like even when you're trying to come out of it, it's still hard to do. I mean, hell, Coca-Cola struggled with that today. Do you see that Coca-Cola, like one of their uh, one of their LinkedIn learning things was how to be less white. Oh, it, it's Oops. it's oh, <laughs> it, it's fascinating, right? And like it's like be less opinionated, don't be so judgmental. Stop, like, and it's a whole bunch. And it was like really Coke. Like now, granted, they hired people to develop these things for them, right? And it was part of their online learning stuff. Oh, no, no, but it's still, fine. They paid for it. Still, so <laughs> like, this is still on Coke, right? Now, granted, like, they're trying, but accidental racism is still racism. And if any time you could switch the words white and black, and it sounds bad for either of them, probably don't do it. Because at that point, you're doing it wrong. And it was kind of the same thing with Song of the South, right? So it was an attempt at celebrating something that they genuinely didn't understand and could only recognize in its most stereotypical elements. And that's well, not yeah, a I mean, and, uh, it, It's definitely one of those things, uh, I don't even want to say like uh, that, that usual, it, it's a, uh, you know, product of its time thing but no there, there's clearly like a whole the, the the stereotype of the south is very interesting to me as somebody who is from the south there's a lot that people get right and there's a lot that people get wrong and seeing what that stereotype looks like over time is crazy interesting so i mean you know you you think it's this that the other and like you know uh people being all one with nature like Another one, uh, me and uh, Vaude were actually talking about, was it Jim Neighbors singing, you know, uh, Gee God, I'm a Country Boy, you know, uh, on the Muppet Show. And, and no, like, I mean, I get that there's elements of that. It's caricatures. But like, you know, uh, well, a few years that, back, I went out to Indianapolis, Southern Sweet Tea was a whole gimmick. Hmm. Like, so, I mean, it, it's weird to see how that's all like packaged and cataloged because some things are just intrinsic. You can't talk about Southern cuisine without like the North African slave trade influence, period. <laughs> well, and let's, let's, what we're really describing here is people feeling put off about the commoditization and packaging of their culture. The same experience that you have as a Southerner walking into an Indianapolis McDonald's with Southern sweet tea. Mm, Lord have mercy, it's so well, good. No, I got see, vapors, right? That no, same see, I actually think that's where they're actually getting it right. This whole like Aunt Jemima thing, that's that's wrong. Like there's more to the South than than quote unquote mammies. Like that's obviously like was it why was that even a thing that was brought up? Damn it, you've got a nana. Use your actual picture of your Nana. Like, Do you know what is so fascinating to me about the debate over Aunt Jemima? 
is that the people who are most upset about it don't know it like they think they know what it's about and they're arguing against a private company doing what it wants because it makes them feel better about having a racist slave trope in their home that's, yeah that's how white guilt works that's a that that's a weird flex bro uh but well i mean i'm also not like read into the issue i'll be honest with you but i just feel like all right if your mascot if your your brand ambassador looks like the lady from gone with the wind take a moment and when i say the lady from gone with the wind i mean any any of them <laughs> <laughs> If your mascot looks like a Dapper Dan man, you might have bigger problems. Right. Yeah, I get it. uh, Welcome to the 21st century. Like, fucking A, dude, how did you get through the 1900s and not have to update your brand? Like, (laughs) you know, there are the, I actually, and this is going to be a potentially very controversial take. All right. Um, if a company if wants to change its logo, the, I'm going to poke you in the fucking eye. What's that? So <laughs> if you tell me you're looking forward to the Snyder Cut, I'm going to poke you in the eye. Oh, I am looking forward to the Snyder Cut. Uh, right here. Got one coming. Just know that. Dude, if you are going to be hating, uh, you know what? We'll, we'll get to this in a minute. Uh, no, I'm, comes- uh, I'm priming. That's all. Like, I got to build up my juices. <laughs> I've been meditating a lot, so. When it comes to a company's decision to adjust their logo, should that company be able to do what they want with their logo? My general answer is yes, because they have to handle the consequences of their sales either declining or increasing based on that choice. Like, I don't think anyone, like, it was not woke culture that made Aunt Jemima change their branding. It was the fact that the company looked at it and said, oh, wait. Yeah, this is kind of bad for us. We should do something about this. Like, that's not them capitulating to some, like, moral majority that's insisting they change it. That's them reading the, like, essentially tacking into the wind. They know which way the winds are blowing. And the winds are blowing away from racist depictions. Like, you may think Aunt Jemima is an image of a woman who built herself up from slavery and this fantastic, you know, like, story the woman that you see on that package is not the woman that you think aunt jemima is the woman you're looking at on the package was an actress they hired in the 30s she might have actually even been in gone with the wind (laughs) so with all of these things being said how do we tie this back to the episode at hand because we are so far off and i was looking for a really clever segue but I'm not going to get one. Uh, instead, uh, Brisby is decided. Speaking that, of racist. Yeah. Had, oh, that, that, that's where this came from. Yeah. So oh, I had a uh, Gina Carano segue, but I didn't think it was going to work. But hey, maybe. Hey. No, I mean, so, this Vaughn, is not, like, Vaughn, how can you not tie this back? Like, this is all Disney fodder, man. Yeah, well, but- I was just thinking when you were saying that uh, apparently, because I'm not very well, I'm not keeping up. I know that there was a whole Aunt Jemima thing that happened recently, but I wasn't keeping up with it. But I did catch the uh, 
the Toronto disaster. Like you're saying that they seem to have like read the room, understood what was going on, and maybe not were they weren't bullied into the choice. Whereas like Gina just like didn't read the room and like whether you're 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 whatever side of that whole thing, God forbid you come down on. At the same time, you just sort of got to look at it and go, "Hey, Disney usually doesn't play nice with people who do this. If you want a job, people do a lot of shit for a job that they don't like or believe or." You know, yeah, it's called customer service, and yeah. every single like food service employee yep. and customer service employee, and we don't get paid like what she was getting paid, yeah. even they if have we, to she wasn't getting there. the big, big bucks. That's yeah. still decent enough money to, you know, smile and play nice. Well, you and know. you know what the real kicker here was? <laughs> so, like, I got asked what my opinion on that was, I had to look into it a little bit. Cause I, it, I didn't quite see what the big fuss was about, about her being let go. It seemed about the same thing to me as Megan Fox being fired from Transformers for calling her boss Hitler on national television. Like, I was not upset when she got fired because it was like, yo, I mean, you were trying to be too clever by half and you insulted the guy who's writing your checks. Like, you told him that working for him is awful and you hate him as a human being and compared to the worst human on the planet. Like, I'm not expecting you to have your job after that. I don't see why anyone would be upset. And it's kind of the same thing with Gina Carano. Like, you know, hey, man, First Amendment, say whatever you want. That does not mean freedom from accountability. And if you're working in Hollywood and you're like, oh, yeah, I'm, you know, being, you know, gassed because of my political views, like the conservative is the modern Jew and like, you know, it like the the liberal media and wokeness and all this stuff is just, you know, it's like Hitler, you know, I don't see your bosses who have warned you multiple times about your violations of the branding clause that you signed on to when you joined. Like if this were the, you know, if this was not the first time either. So I got to tell you, like when it comes to that company kind of, you know, making their decision one way or the other, she had warning, she had the option, and she's the one who chose to sign on to their, like the House of Mouse is very explicit about what they expect from their talent. Like they're not, they, they are not willing to bring someone on who is going to bring disrepute to their overall brand. It's too dangerous. Well, man, it's mean, it's, What's that? James Gunn. <laughs> yeah. Well, and again, they they let him go, and then they brought him back. Yeah, now because James Gunn does a thing you can't you can't get like he, he's that rare thing where he does a thing so well and his his artistic brand is is so unique, uh, and he built built the Guardians brand from nothing, comic obscurity. So that's a whole different thing. Like, oh so, well. You know, blah, blah, blah. Gina Carano, it's almost like when hang somebody... Like, before you, you get past James Gunn... And she's like... Before you get past James Gunn, like, do you... Like, did you... So, the stuff that he was writing back in the day was clearly intended as a horrifying joke. Like, there was nothing in there that was saying, I hate my bosses it was him trying to be edgy and failing miserably. And like, I don't, uh, I don't fault Disney for firing him 
Well, I mean, and okay, simultaneously, you say, here's the thing. I don't, here's that phrase. I don't fault Disney necessarily for being like, crap, we just shot ourselves in the dick. Like, okay, you've, you know, you, you, you've made yourself, okay, we fired you, you made your amends, you went off, and you're going to make a ton of money for this other group. Like, don't pretend that they're not capitalists. But I, but I do think that there is a slight difference between the gun thing and the Gina Carano thing. Yeah, because well, one was their brand of edginess. Gina yeah. Carano was, was tackling too many edgy things. It's the same thing that caught up with, uh, who is it, Letitia Wright. Like, you know, speaking out against the masks and, you know, uh, talking about like, you know, COVID vaccines, conspiracies and all this other shit. Like, um, yeah, so James Gunn was making a bunch of really like off-color terrible jokes, but none of them were telling people like to influence their idea on social policy. And I get that that's like the whole, that, that's the big difference. But with Gina Carano, I feel like it was very much, hey, could you knock that off? Sure, I absolutely will. Tweet, 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 tweet. Like she would almost do it every time they asked her to stop to, to make a point. And uh, when you have, I guess, like somebody like that, well, you've got to make a point to them because otherwise they're just going to keep doing the same thing for, for the reaction. I feel like she's very used to being like uh, a very much a, like the center of attention in a room. I also feel like if she had stood up and said, you know what, guys, I thought I was being funny. I was trying to drive engagement on my page. I'm sorry if I offended anyone. Do you think that she would have her job right now? I do. She I mean, maybe because, uh, you know, that's the thing is uh, as, as somebody who is really trying hard, uh, you have to, to give the opposition, you know, space in America. That's that's the whole point. Right. So, you know, uh, conservatives, they need a voice in entertainment. You know, that, that's their whole thing. They shouldn't be silent as much as I don't like Zachary Levi, like do your thing, man, like cool. Um, but at the same time, I think there is a, a limit to decency on, on, you know, either side of that. Well, and that yeah. limit to me boils down to things that are just kind of inherently dangerous to uh, like, so for instance, if we had Gina Carano saying you can beat COVID by injecting bleach into your arm, right? Like where would Disney stance on that be? Well, I mean, it depends. Do they own the bleach company? <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, same thing with, uh, and I kind of feel like that was the same thing with Letitia Wright. You know, like you, her things were very much like bad publicity, and bad for the public. Like as a, you know, as a private company, do you have the opportunity to work with people that reflect your brand values? And if your brand, like, just like Shapiro, right? Shapiro hiring Carano. If Carano turns around tomorrow and starts saying, I was wrong, uh, you know, uh, mass 100% work, like systemic racism is a thing. Do you think Shapiro would have her along? No, I don't. Because yeah, I mean, that's a fair point. it wouldn't fit what he wanted. He had a very specific premise for bringing her on. And if she doesn't meet the standards that he has in mind, he's going to cut ties. 
They, 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 Fox News did the same thing to Tommy Lahren, right? Uh, Tommy Lahren, right? She's like, hey, I'm a good conservative. I believe in individual freedoms. I, you can't tell a woman what to do with her body. If she wants an abortion, get one. And there was a revolt from their audience. And she had to get up and apologize and walk back and saying, you know what, abortion is wrong. Uh, individual rights don't matter in this case. Oh, that lady. So uh, just using that as an example to kind of put all of this into context, because when we're looking at a private company's ability to make use of its resources, people are a huge resource. And if people start preventing them from actualizing their game plan, they're going to find a way to, to let it go. And so that's exactly saying, what happens to Doc Venture in this particular instance, because well, Doc is not saying, going along with the game plan. I was going to say, what you're saying is Gina Carano starts the Orange County Liberation Front. <laughs> right. So Doc is not going along with the program. Doc's not giving up the cloning details, at which point Brisby says, no. And Doc's <laughs> like, yes, I'd like to leave right now. And then Brisby says, no, do it. At which point, Lingley stuffs Doc into a bag. Brock hears Doc scream, pops up, and tries to get inside, defeats Mandalay, bursts through the doors, and is about to rescue Doc when he starts passing out because the cigarette that Mandalay had offered him was, in fact, laced with chloral hydrate, the oldest trick in the book. Oh, dude, and uh, one of my favorite like lines in the episode, uh, he trained his fucking panda to put me in a bag. <laughs> yeah, right. Actually, one of my other favorite lines is the line that Doc says, like when Brock collapses to the ground, Doc is still in the bag and he goes, that didn't sound good. I just like just the drawn out nature of that line. Um, so Brisby is gloating in front of the fireplace and then he ends up catching on fire uh, and Lily comes over and puts him out. Uh, he, I'm not sure how he caught on fire, but he's, he's, hees bad at this. I'm a flame. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I would have done the whole thing a little bit more like Big Lebowski. Oh, crap. Crap. I'm sorry. I skipped a spot. We bounced over in the middle of that scene. We bounced over to the X1. Bounce where they're play Dean is playing I Spy with Hank, and it's a very one-sided game. And he's looking at Hank, he says, I spy a big pink stinky who stinks and he's stupid, which makes Hank start a fight with Dean, just as the weirdos with the orange headgear sneak onto the X1. I just, we needed to throw that in there. Well, and also uh, for fans of Ace Ventura 2, the Orange County Liberation Front has been sneaking up on the X1 in like a hippopotamus, but they come out the other end, thank God. They come out the front. Yes, they come out of the front, uh, as opposed to that amazing scene where you know Jim Carrey gets birthed by the rhino. I thought it was a crocodile. No, it was definitely a hippo. It was, a, a, rhino. Hippo. It was a rhino, yeah. Oh, not, no, not Jim Carrey in the, the, the Venture episode. I thought, I thought there was, I, I thought it was at one point... Hippo. I thought at one point they, uh, the, the one where they're in the water still and you couldn't identify what animal that was, I thought it was a crocodile. 
Well, and the 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 Bible here, it's it's referenced as a, a hippo. Oh, yeah, there you go. Memory's going. I mean, which, by could, the way, uh, you could, could square it and make it a crocodile. It could be hippo to be square. I caught uh, Men in Black Two. Uh, Brock was in that. Patrick Warburton was was one of the the, the other dudes in Black. Yeah. And he was awful. He was more like the tick than Brock in this one. I'll say that. <laughs> so uh, we're going to bounce back. Uh, Brock's out. That didn't sound good. And uh, we've got Hank sitting over Dean, holding him down with a giant spit wad dangling out of his mouth. And he says, you are so lucky I had milk earlier to make that spit nice and stringy, those lipids, baby. That just then those orange guys burst in and knock out Hank by sticking an orange on his nose. And the spit wad- Did you just over that? The spit wad leaves Hank's mouth and gravity pulls it down into Dean's open mouth. Yeah. Let that wash over you. <laughs> <laughs> then they knock out Dean the same way. I'm also assuming perhaps with some chloral hydrate. Seems to be going around. So, you know what the uh, problem with that stuff is? They I, only I stay out as long as you like hold it to them. So if you like, mat, like you know, knock them out for like a minute, they'll only stay down for like a minute. Wait. So if you you have to hold it to their noses in order for it to be continually effective? Yeah, like it so, dissipates pretty quickly. So every movie I've ever seen is wrong in line. Well, and from what I know of, uh, I mean, I, I go into surgery a lot. And if you basically, if you're like filling the machine up with uh, the gas or the, what turns into gas is a liquid when you pour it in, uh, that stuff, if you spill a little bit of it, it literally evaporates in seconds. Uh, so I can't imagine even if you doused an entire rag in it that it would stay damp for very long and you would actually also be inhaling it yourself and odds are you would end up getting knocked out as well or neither of you would get knocked out in the first place. Um, I, well, and yeah. I love the way he delivers. It was almost like a scripted line like, wait, you mean movies have been lying to me my whole... <laughs> yes, Billy. <laughs> they don't actually pull their masks down in operating rooms to deliver a line off camera into nothing. Well, wow, they just pull their masks down in grocery stores because fuck your neighbors. I mean, right? Uh, <laughs> so. I mean, yeah, dude, like, uh, I, I think the most accurate depiction of that, of something similar is maybe like ether in the Cider House rules. Like, you know, Michael Caine getting all like, yeah. but. So. You gotta work quick. Speaking of working quickly, they've knocked out Doc and are transporting him to the Brisby secret lair, where Doc is going to be held hostage to work on Brisby's cloning procedure because Brisby wants a young clone body that he can transfer his consciousness into and get his virility, youth, and uh, lips back. Yeah, so, you know, who doesn't? I'm surprised you didn't ask about why I know this about chloroform. Um, I, was I was going to make that. a stealing a panda joke I, and like, <laughs> it just, that moment's gone. Yeah, so me, on, me, with, me. on with like the cloning in, 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 in like 
add infinitum into it like immortality let's go if i were if i'm being completely honest there's a part of me that was afraid to ask because (laughs) i didn't want you to have to reveal your parenting secrets well chloroform is not the same as benadryl benadryl is a lot cheaper (laughs) yeah right so he venture is inside this this secret complex and we get one of my other favorite lines of this episode and that's where brisby says if there's one thing cartoons have taught me it's that you can never be too careful welcome (laughs) to the brisby dome right and it just that line right there if there's one thing cartoons have taught me it's that you can never be too careful um and i in my head I immediately jumped back to every Roadrunner and Coyote cartoon. <laughs> because no matter how careful he thinks he's being, it's still not good enough. I mean, uh, to be fair, as the outside observer, we can see that his forethought on safety isn't quite as thorough as maybe he thinks it is. Yeah, it's definitely more three thought or two uh, thought. I was going to say, like, is, is there, like, negative thought, like, that we can apply here? <laughs> like, he owes us a brain cell or two. Uh, and also, to be fair, Coyote seems to be operating in a universe where the laws of physics change gag to gag. So yeah. there's no learning how things are actually, like, trying to figure out a fucking pendulum in that world on physics. <laughs> right? <laughs> or, or, or gravity or, like, I don't know, the coefficient of friction. So, right, yeah. like the, the the gravitational constant there is nine point three like carrots per yeah like carrots per like buckets times fish squared like <laughs> nine point nine point eight meters per second per second per yeah yeah like we'll so, call it a Jones. Um, sure they're they're physics and Joneses. Venture realizes that he's inside the giant dome next to the office they were just in inside the disney castle looking thing this is my favorite line (laughs) go ahead bod um when he realizes and he's like did you seriously just knock me out and put me in a bag to take me 50 yards across to this big (laughs) i think he said like big stupid dome thingy or something like that and it's just like yes yes we did we could have just simply walked but no you had to be in a bag and knocked unconscious. It's that whole, um, oh, it's, I think it's an archer. There's like a running gag of like, do, do you know, it's really bad to keep knocking people out like over and over again. <laughs> like, could, could, could you just stop? Like, <laughs> I'm trying to avoid brain damage here. <laughs> I would have walked with you, man. <laughs> uh, and it is in the interest of avoiding that brain damage that the Venture Brothers launched into commercial. But when we return, we had a moment to wonder what happened to Brock Sampson. And this is where we get our second Sin City reference. Because someone is dragging Brock out of the tar pit. And that someone is a very sexy, very one-eyed, very scantily clad, very appearing for the first time, Russian agent Molotov Cocktease. She says she would never let anyone kill Brock because that's her job. Then she, Brock is kicked in the face. Changeover, right? That's when we get the boys. 
we <laughs> nice the, the boys wake up and like we only want your plane we have no intention of hurting you are you comfortable do you want some juice debbie get the boys some more juice they are in the lair of the orange county liberation front and they're also in the by layer, it's the gym for the Orange County Community College. That's the OCCC, headquarters of the OCLF, who is also loosely affiliated with the OCFF or OLCF out of Florida, but they're weird. <laughs> so, like, uh, I love the whole evil organization paramilitary like setup uh it, it's very like i don't know cuban national but behind like a whole foods yeah right yeah yeah it's che- I met at that applebee's it, it's che guevara with asparagus water <laughs> man that's the thing i miss about doing events the most all right so growing up poor I didn't know how, how amazing cucumber water was. And then I was introduced to cucumber water. I'm like, holy shit, rich people put vegetables in their water? This is fucking incredible. Like, just mind-blowing. And then I realized, like, you know, why? Why haven't I been doing this? How do you make water crisper and cleaner and things? Like, leave it to rich people. That's fucking, they're solving problems, man. First world problems, very specifically, but... yeah. Same people pay five bucks for a water flown halfway across the world from Fiji. Let's do this. So, apparently, you can pay extra for the glacial water in uh, Iceland. But, like, fun fact even the tap water is glacial water. Like, yeah. Yeah. So, Hank and Dean are tied up in this gym. They're being offered more juice. And the guy, the leader, Ted, He's explaining, we're not terrorists. We're men and women with jobs and families. And then one dude's beeper goes off. This is the thing that dated this episode the most for me because the dude had a beeper in 2004. <laughs> like, Well, and it was one of the really nice beepers where you could get the full text message. Yeah, yeah, it was fast. We actually it, have a, a pretty close, uh, you know, kind of cut out of it here in the Go Team Venture book along with the, uh, it looks like their walkie-talkie, uh, the saddlebag. I can't tell if it has the Velcro or the snaps. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, a clearly like a pineapple grenade, but it's not a pineapple, it's like an orange. Yeah. So uh, this is where the dude's like, oh yeah, we got families. And the beeper goes off, he's like, oh, I gotta go. Peggy's going into labor. Congratulations, see ya. Right. Uh, and uh, by the way, that kid just saved his dad yeah. from a fucking Brock Sampsoning. Yeah. Uh, this is where we get my third favorite line of the episode. Consecutive, like, you know, uh, consecutively. So it's the line where he's talking, Ted is talking about Brisbane. He's trying to explain to the boys why the Orange County Liberation Front exists in the first place, right? Um, he's going on and explaining that um, the Brisbee has tainted their county by putting Brisbee land there. Like they're tearing down nice residential neighborhoods and fun little shops. He's like, there used to be an Applebee's here. It's like, that's where we met. We met at that Applebee's. Like they're upset 
that Brisbee land is buying up the land because it's stuff they used to enjoy. Okay. Uh, I feel like there's a much deeper perspective on this, that this, well, this is actually a much more biting satire than it might seem on the face of it. Well, I mean, the thing I love about it is they're upset about losing a corporate chain restaurant that they could go to like anywhere else, you know, within maybe like a five mile radius in town. Yeah, there like, may have been an Applebee's inside that Applebee's. Right. <laughs> and it this makes is where we- wonder, Like, uh, it, it's that like, uh, I don't know, second generation, like post-war consumerism. Like, no, Applebee's is where the family goes. The whole family eats good in the neighborhood, damn it. Like, and if it's you don't not have a neighborhood an without an Applebee's, yeah, like, how do you eat good in the neighborhood without an Applebee's? Um, this is where we get my, my, I think this is in the running for my favorite line of the whole episode. He's the devil, and that animated abomination he created is the angel of death, bringing darkness to this world. And, uh, by the way, that's exactly how, uh, Dolly over Adventure Sisters feels directly about Walt Disney and Mickey Mouse. Oh, <laughs> oh very strong opinions. Uh, by the way, strong. how crushing it is that Venture Sisters podcast? Crushing it. Dude, Fucking so, loving it. so thrilled, so impressed, and so proud of what they're accomplishing over there. Uh, for our gentle listeners, I hope you have been checking it out because if you haven't, you're in luck. You get to catch up on all of them right now after this episode. And quite possibly, a word from these sponsors. Oh, holy shit. We actually had like a break. I'm going to edit a break into that. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, I actually, uh, I sat in on a, on a Venture Sisters recording and I'm just going. And she's like, yeah, we'll get to that after the break. I was... Audrey looks at me. She's like, "Yeah, we take breaks on our shows." Like, holy sh! Smoke, got him. Like, <laughs> I'd be annoyed if you did it, but I love how you will acknowledge, and that's where the the uh, the uh, commercial will pop in on the uh, episode, and we're gonna keep on going. Like, we're gonna be like, <laughs> we can we can dovetail. No, 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 no. I'll just keep rolling. You know what's gonna be hilarious? He's going to go through and edit this and he's going to leave that silence where we had the break and right in the middle of this sentence that I'm speaking right now, he's going to throw a... Hey kids, are you ready to take an adventure on the high seas of breakfast? We have the only seas that matter. Color, corn byproducts, and candy. I want some gas station sushi for breakfast. Stop right there, son. This cereal is slightly better than that. Try new Pirate Crunch. It's filled with everything that makes your long car ride better for dad. Flavored with sweet, sweet trank and vitamin K, enough to take you straight to the K-hole. For breakfast, are you a kid or a kid at heart? Or maybe you have an orphan heart in your pleasure can. Tired of eating sargassum and cod liver spots? Does Alpha Dog give you a wee bit of an Oedipus complex? Try Pirate Crunch or your father will never approve of your lifestyle choices. 
and then I'm not going to have any option except like at the end of the commercial, it's going to pick up where I am right now. People are going to be like, wait, where were we? And it's like, oh, ha, huh, Beast, I see what you did there. This is getting really meta. <laughs> um, they really want to take down Brisby. And inside the Brisby Dome, Brisby is still trying to convince our adventure to clone him and join him. Uh, what was it? It's a Brisby land was the prelude. The next step is Brisby life. And my like my favorite little scene of this is that all the worker bees, the drones, are in full Bris busy bee costumes with like jackhammers and like you know like every construction worker is in one of the costumes. That just uh, that just tickled me. It was like uh, you know like if the Death Star contractors were all required to wear princess leia outfits like that's the level of inanity um, well and like uh when you when you work at, at disney no matter what you're doing you're not an employee you're a cast member remember that like you're you're a cast member i had a friend of mine actually you know her uh, it's our favorite uh, South African that you wouldn't know was South African until she got angry enough to start yelling. Then her accent really comes out. And uh, she was saying that uh, she actually used to play Snow White down at uh, Disney World. And I was like, so, you know, like, it, you know, what are the odds of, you know, somebody going down there and getting busy with uh, one of the princesses on the clock? She's like, that would never happen. And I said, what, why is that? She's like, you don't even understand how under scrutiny you are when you are in that costume. And it's not just that the cast or like the rest of the team is looking at you and you've got to maintain that very professional demeanor. It's that every one of those kids is looking at you and all of their hopes and dreams and aspirations are riding in that look as well. And if you do anything to break that, for lack of a better word, like sacred trust, you are literally moments away from destroying someone's childhood in a way. I've seen Bod's face lighting up like Christmas. <laughs> there was a, there was a, uh, I, I totally forgotten about this and I almost want to start going and trying to hunt for it again to see if maybe it re-popped up, but somebody was doing a, I don't know if it was like a blog or a podcast or something, but they were or either previously had been or they were currently a cast member and they were basically just doing like the low down scoop on what it's like working in uh, Disneyland and um, it was meant to be absolutely hysterical because you're like, it's from the the weird stories of dealing with the customers and everything like that, or the, the, the guests and everything like that, uh, to uh, the interactions you have with your coworkers while in costume and in front of people in behind the scenes. Um, but I want to say like Disney, it looked like Disney went and found it and shut it down. Uh, I want to say there was like an article written about it. And then all of a sudden it was just like, Disney was like, Nope, can't don't talk. Nope. And I was like, okay, that's that's that Disney power. Uh, if they don't want somebody talking about something, it can just sort of disappear. Can we also discuss how insidious their framing is? Because we adjusted our language over the past two and a half minutes once Beast made one comment. 
we stopped calling them workers. We stopped calling them employees. We called them cast members and guests, right? <laughs> like just, just think about that for just one second, like how truly insidious that framing is and because it makes perfect sense. It makes more sense to explain it that way because that is a better representation of what your role is in that situation. Well, see, and I, uh, I'm gonna be honest, and we've had this discussion, and you know I started out on one side of the line. I slowly watched all of my favorite things get absorbed into <laughs> this like pop culture, you know, blob, yeah. And, and I was like, no, 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 no. And then like you pointed out, well, how, how, how good are the, the Marvel comics got? Well, yeah, no, they're good. Well, yeah, because they're, they're paying for the stories now. They don't care about the success. They care about the stories to make movies on. Yeah, okay, oh, okay. Okay, this is good. This is good. And, and Star Wars isn't bad. Like, this isn't going terrible either. Um, now, what's funny is you've taken the turn on that one. So I, I am still... I am still convinced that The Last Jedi is a masterpiece that is way better than anything we should possibly have expected from Disney Studios. Uh, even like the... the uh, 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 uh. If the, they did a Muppet Star Wars from Disney Studios... It would be amazing. It would yes. be amazing. And in fact, <laughs> dude, the Lego Star Wars Holiday Special was amazing, right? Well, oh, dude, even talk about Life Day. Yeah. So like, and even, you know, the first J.J. Abrams movie was lots of fun. Like that's the most excited I've ever been about a trailer ever. Like I've never watched a single trailer more often and more completely than I watched that one trailer. What are phrases you hear in Oklahoma? Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) Or at a brothel right outside of Camp Lejeune. Thing. So with all that said. More excited about uh, my life. What happened in the third movie was unfortunate. And the worst part of that whole affair was that there was no plan going in. And like, I, and we're never getting that back. Like, and that's okay but we are going to get something completely different and Fabro has shown the way. So uh, you say we're not going to get that back. Justice League has proven that you can. With yeah, enough but they didn't whining. bring in a, they didn't bring in another director. However, if they were to let Colin Trevorrow do his script, hell yeah. Like again, and even though the last Jedi, I'm sorry, the Rise of Skywalker was not quite as thrilling for me as it is to, you know, I'm sure it is to some people. There are some people for whom I'm sure that is their all-time favorite Star Wars movie. And that generation of fans, you know, go for it, please. So, so what I'm hearing is you don't think Star Wars is thriving quite as well as, as Marvel Comics in, in the story department? In uh, terms of like I feel like the Rise of Skywalker wasn't thriving. I feel like The Mandalorian is crushing it. Uh, the final season of Clone Wars was crushing it. Like, there's no, uh, like, Dave Filoni. Well, see, that's what I'm talking about. The, the aggregate total of the, the franchise now. Is just getting fun. better under, under the House of Mouse? 
or or worse upper so like if i'm if i'm being completely honest i'm going to have to say better if for no other reason then we're getting more like so i i've mentioned this before man my buddy jason right gretchen's husband i asked him what he thought about uh, ben affleck being cast as batman he's like i don't care i already had my batman with the christopher nolan movies whatever else they do with it i i don't care I take a slightly different perspective, which is if it's something that I genuinely love and enjoy, there will be things for me to grab onto and make a connection with. Because it's not perfect for me, it's not a movie I would have made. Well, I didn't make the movie. Like I can't complain. If I wanted to complain, I could go out and make my own. You know what I mean? But what it really boils down to is they are putting out more content taking place in this universe that I do have this connection to. Man, the last episode of The Mandalorian was the single greatest moment of television I have ever had in my life, ever. Ever. Like, yeah, I was sitting right. here with Hatu sitting on my lap. I have never screamed, oh shit, more. Like, I don't cuss in front of my kids. Ever. Every curse word my kids have ever learned was from my doctor, school teacher, wife. Right? And I'm sitting here with Hatu on my lap going, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit. Like, dude, it was powerful. And yeah, I'm waiting to see if WandaVision can, can hit that chord. I don't think they're going to be able to. Who do you think the big cameo is going to be? If it's not Ian McKellen, it, I'm not going, oh shit. I was going to say, it's yeah. either, okay. If they can, it, it, whoever they, if it's Ian McKellen, dope. Like that, bam. Okay. Uh, even more Michael so Fassbender. if it's, if it's, uh, Michael Fassbender wouldn't be bad and I do like his Magneto, but if it's any version of like uh, Reed Richards, uh, if, if I say any version, I mean not previously existing. Yeah. Like if it's Miles Teller that shows up, uh, I'm going to shit in a box and send it to Disney. Uh, <laughs> like, um, so I, I was trying to thank her. I love Miles Teller. Like, let me preface that. Yeah. Love Miles Teller. Whiplash was dope. Uh, Josh Trank or, or the studio or whomever ruined Fantastic Four. And this isn't bad. This is par. Like, let's not, let's not overstate it. Their Fantastic Four was just as bad as the other. Uh, it was better than the first one. And I'm not talking about the Rise of the Silver Surfer. I'm not talking about the Jessica Alba series. Did you ever see No, you're talking cars? about Roger Foreman. Yeah. Yes, sir, I am. <laughs> yes, sir, I am. Um, so think, just pause for just one moment. What character in what way is going to give you that full-on sense of absolute wonder? Because I don't know right now if any Marvel property can pull that off. I don't know if there's a single person in the Marvel universe. They could, could for me. It's too new. Yeah, it just, it doesn't have that deep seed. No. Now granted, we've been with it for a decade, but- Well, I mean, you have to understand it's operating, on, in this case, it'd be operating on two different contexts, right? The Skywalker reveal is built around like this whole thing where, you know, like, getting uh mark hamill is hard enough as it is let alone 
putting Mark Hamill in a specific time and place in that canon, right? And doing all these things like the technology lined up, the popularity lined up, the moons, stars, planets, universe fucking lined up for John Favreau to make this happen. Wonderful. For the MCU, this is going to have to be hyped on a different kind of, of uh, you know, establishment. It's things that you want to see that haven't happened yet. In my case, and I'm not even like a huge Fantastic Four fan, but as a nexus of things that, you know, in the Marvel Universe, they meet like at the, the, the mutant level, the cosmic level, the magic level, like the Fantastic Four does it all. Um, and that like, that's why Reed Richards or even more deep cut, uh, Blue Marvel. Blue Marvel would be, you know, again, my, my like, you know, Marvel deep cut that would give me my oh shit moment. But I think that would give more, the broader oh shit moment would be Reed Richards. I, you know, I, I was actually thinking about here, Bob, we just said a moment ago that the Marvel movies haven't been around that long. They have been. It's been 20 years since the first X-Men movie came out. Like if they were to, pull- and that's why I'm saying you'd have to go back to a an Ian McKellen to give me my yeah. oh shit moment. Yeah. Or- Anybody short of a, a an X Men first movie character, Ooh, a Hugh Jackman. Yeah, I mean, throw Stewart. anybody from the fuck. Throw me a Halle Berry. Shit, Halle Berry flying her fucking white haired ass out of the <laughs> sky. Shit, with the mohawk. Throw the mohawk on her again. There you go. That'd you know, give me my oh shit moment. I, uh, there's a part of me that feels like the oh shit moment. Like if they do it, I think that uh, Paul Bettany's uh, notion of there's an actor that I've always wanted to work with might be a misdirection. Well, and that's the thing is I was thinking about the same way. It can go so many ways because A, Paul, Brett, Paul Bettany is a part of an uh, exclusive club that you have to be born into and then work hard to, ba- to be in the british actors club like (laughs) watching game of thrones or like doctor who and like spotting the oh it's that guy face right like it's one of my favorite things about like british whatever because the island's like you know the size of north carolina with like three million on you're seeing the same like dozens of actors a bajillion times so he could either be talking about sir ian mckellen fucking gandalf right or he could be you know talking about like Fucking Jimmy Woo. Dude, if Patrick, I, I would be thrilled if Patrick Stewart showed up. If Patrick yeah. Stewart showed yeah, it up. It could also be, oh, dude, I, I'm going to, not to say that I would personally even enjoy this. I would actually be kind of mad if it happened, but they totally went James McAvoy. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, I would be a little is. mad as a fan, but like Paul Bettany wanting to work with James McAvoy, that makes sense. Yeah, I, I, I get that. What if it's a character we haven't introduced to yet and it's like Betty White? If Betty White showed up as like a good witch, like that would make me freaking happy. Okay, first off, uh, Betty White might be the safest casting effort in the Marvel Universe, not only for popularity, but because uh, like, you know she's going to be around for the next 10 years to have the part. (laughs) Let me knock on some fucking wood before I just accidentally killed Betty White. I, dude, I'm, I'm going to knock till my knuckles bleed. Like, don't you dare put any bad juju on that woman. Uh, oh, dude, if she were one of, like, the multiverse's Aunt Mays and she got to be the golden oldie. I, I would be just fine with that. 
You know, it could be. I, they had already. Is everybody familiar with the Golden Oldie? It's I, when I, Aunt May got the power cosmic while she's oh. uh, sitting <laughs> Franklin Richards. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so instead of starting silver, she turned gold. She was the Golden Oldie. Yeah, it was great. I mean, and again, if we're being really brutally honest about what their options even are, I don't know that they can achieve the Skywalker moment. I don't like the, what it took in order to achieve the Skywalker moment is 40 years of underutilizing the most important character okay. in a world famous. Let, let, let me let me cut you off to, to, to put it in just how oh shit of a moment it is. I only jumped into the Star Wars everything uh, intentionally on Mandalorian. And when I got to the last episode and he shows up, I got up and was like, oh shit. So it literally had the vibe without even necessarily truly having the appreciation. It had the, it had it built in. Like you just knew that you were watching something special and that it was some, it, it was a massive moment. Uh, well, you, and, uh, you, you don't even have to I, have the, the background. I cried. I legit cried. Like, it's a moment. No, so that is that is one of those built for built for the feels moments. It's it's got you know all of the, really the music. The yeah. What really sells it is knowing the the love hate relationship that Mark Hamill had with Star Wars, and like seeing this, you know, kind of finally see him reapproach Star Wars and come back to it. It's like uh, our buddy Frankie talks about the. Star Trek stuff, right? Like, was it uh, somebody wrote the one thing? It's like uh, it was Leonard Nimoy. I'm not Spock. Yeah. And then a few years later, like a decade later, he came back. He was like, okay, maybe I am Spock. Mm -hmm. And he had like Mark Hamill had that same relationship, just pounded by fanboys for years about Luke Skywalker. And now he's like, after a bajillion years of that, and Star Wars refurbished and and prequel and sequel and stuff, he can finally, I guess, come to terms with it or, you know, his bank account's hurting, which I doubt. That man does more voice work than fucking anybody. Well, was it one of you guys? Speaking of great voice work, <laughs> should we uh, take a moment to talk about how good the man who plays Mandalay is? Did you catch who that voice was? No. The guy who plays Mandalay is um, a guy who has done a few films. He's actually going to be in the new, um, um, he, he's the voice of Nick Fury in the Avengers video game that's out right now. And he's going to be a rear admiral in the 2021 Maverick movie. His name is Charles Parnell and he's also Jefferson Twilight. Oh, oh was this Charles Parnell's like, yeah, I guess this is his first appearance on the show too, but way, way before Jefferson Twilight. Yeah. yeah. And he only gets the one line and we're not even there yet. Yeah. So in this, you know, based on where we're at in the episode, right. Um, we've gotten the explanation for the Orange County Liberation Front and Mr. Brisby is trying to convince Dr. Venture to come aboard and Dr. Venture says, no, no, 
I'm not going to join you. I finally get it. He's like, oh, you got it? So you will come aboard. No, no, no. What I've got is that you're just a total jacked up, freaky deaky, crazy pants. At which point Mr. Bisbee says, I see Mandalay. And then Mandalay stabs Dr. Venture in the needle with a neck. Uh, Venture attempts to call Brock, but passes out before he gets too much out. And he falls down. And then speaking of falling down, Brisby is gloating in his wheelchair, backing up. It's a very dramatic scene. And then he backs up too far and ends up falling down the stairs. And it's a long, painful fall. At which point he asks, this is what you call wheelchair accessible? <laughs> so Brock is unconscious in a bathtub as Molotov Cocktease cleans off the last of the tar. Uh, or is he? He snaps away, grabs her arm, slams her face into the toilet, shattering it, gets out of the tub, at which point Molotov sweeps his legs out from underneath them, hops on top and straddles him. And we get this great interaction between Molotov and Samson. This right here is one of Samson's, like this, ugh, there's just so much going on here. Molotov asks, how long has it been? He's like three years, 48 days. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> She's playing with his hair. She's like, oh, yes, Prague was. Oh, was it Lisbon? He's like, Akron. <laughs> right. Not one of these. Oh, yes. Laser Zeppelin. <laughs> yeah. Lasers up at the planetarium. Montov knocks Brock's arms out from underneath him, smacks his face under the floor, kicks him off her and into the next room. Brock picks up his knife, throws it at Molotov, who then catches it in her teeth. She asks, how did you survive the fall? And he says, landed in a dump truck full of circus peanuts. Montov charges at him. <laughs> Brock dodges the knife stab, but not a punch of the jaw. He grabs her hand. And then she, this is my favorite part of this whole fight scene. It's the Mike Myers, Austin Powers kick to the face. Hey. Where it's just a leg just jutting up, just bam, bam. Like the physical impossibility, bam, bam, bam. That, that's my favorite part of the fight scene. He throws onto the bed, wraps her in bed sheets, and then starts swinging her around the room like the worst pillow at a pillow fight. It's like that scene from uh, Jason in space, right? Uh, what is it, Jason X? Did you remember watching that? Where oh, like, oh my he God, goes man. into the hollow room yes. and there's those two topless girls that are like, do you want to have premarital sex? And he stuffs them into the like sleeping bag and just beats them against the tree. That's what's going on here. At which point, he flings the sheets onto the wall on the floor a few times and back onto the bed, pulls the sheets off of her face, at which point she screams, you killed my father. Brock says, you killed my partner. Molotov says, you took my eye. And then Brock says, and you took my heart. They kiss. Who was the partner before Gabby? Her dad. Oh, wait, Brock's partner? Yeah. I don't know. Ooh. I don't know. Uh, Vaughn, I, I, I expect you to have the actual answer to this, but I expect Beast's head cannon to be even more amazing. Hmm. I mean, technically, the only other partner we've seen him work with previously was Billy Quizboy. Well, and Billy's alive. So we know yeah. it's somebody that, that she's killed. Or at least has gone into like some sort of like a witness protection in, in, in like the evil community i know who it is hmm. it's the man who trained him other than hunter gathers whoever that person is is the person that got killed 
That would be a good Steve Austin background. Like that's how he wanted his out to go live with Sasquatch. Maybe, maybe, maybe it was Steve Austin. He didn't find out Steve Austin was still alive until much later. So they, this is where we get a really good shift in dynamic here. You know, they're going to get it on, right? The camera shifts off to the side, like it pans over. You can hear the sounds of getting freaky and clothing coming off and buckles and zippers. And then it shifts back and Molotov is completely nude except for some metal chain panties, uh, like a chastity belt with a USSR hammer and sickle. And Brock's like, it's like, Brock, you know, I can only go to second base. And he's like, still? And he's like, I thought the Cold War was over. She says, it's always cold in Siberia. Brock has his single, like this moment right here is Brock's Darth Vader in the hallway scene, right? <laughs> he grabs the knife and in rage just starts stabbing it right and like it's just so frustrated he's tearing shit up and, like he moves aside grabs two cigarettes lights them turns them all time and is like oh did you want one <laughs> right and so uh fun fact uh i used to work at a restaurant and um we had a storage room that was a good ways away and if you had to go make a run there you were going to be gone for a while and uh in restaurants everything is quick code lingo blah 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 and the code for that place was you had to go to siberia and so every single time anybody was just gonna have to go run over they're like i'm just gonna go over to siberia real quick i i, it, I just immediately would always shoot straight to this and i'm like you have fun buddy like <laughs> so yeah. i always appreciate Worst name for private parts ever. Yeah. Yeah. Like, all right. So I think one of my favorites is the Octagon. <laughs> I was going to say, it's your anniversary. Dr. Mrs. You know, the Professor Savage uh, comes up and she's like, hey, you want to take a ski trip to Siberia? I don't know. Did you bring your muff? <laughs> Bam. And that's why he gets to go to Siberia. <laughs> um, so Brock then is extraordinarily frustrated. Uh, like, what is the deepest? He's got, it's not blue balls. It's like indigo balls. And he stands up and he's got his towel wrapped around his waist. And that man has a concern, a condition. He's carrying two knives. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one of them is a meat knife. Yeah. <laughs> the learning lab, baby. So he's like, hold on, I got to take care of something. And then walks off to the bathroom with his, uh, uh, the Apaches were back. <laughs> well, and I love the sounds he's making in the back. It sounds like there's like two gorillas fighting at the zoo. Oh, right. Like, while he's got that clothes. Like, okay. So, your, you know, Papa, Papa Samson, you're raising a 13-year-old corner Winnebago who keeps the door locked too much. <laughs> and you, like, you're in the living room and then you hear this like just ape grunting in the bathroom. Like, what are you doing? Uh, brushing my mullet. <laughs> uh, I'm reminded of the movie Frankie and Johnny with Al Pacino and uh, Michelle Pfeiffer. 
And like at one point in the movie, like, you know, he's just gets out of prison and he has sex for the first time. And he had like, she, the, his partner comments on what a quiet, you know, come he had. And he's like, yeah, you know, prison is the kind of place you want to have a full throated orgasm. <laughs> quiet came on. <laughs> I, I wonder if Brock doesn't have a similar approach when it comes to that Winnebago bathroom. So <laughs> one corner Winnebago. Uh, at any rate. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why, but that like whole sentence, that whole idea slays me. No, the prison is not the place where you would have a full-throated orgasm. <laughs> oh, dude, it's, 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 it's poignant. So, um, we're back to the OCC <laughs> Beast. Do you need a moment? We're, we're, we're going to allow Beast to take a uh, to take a quick break here. I don't know just, why that just hit me sideways. <laughs> it's like it's like uh, you know you've read the Tao Te Ching. When a when a wise man hears the Tao, he laughs. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That is. Uh, and one of the one of the things I think most people don't understand is that uh, when Brock is in the bathroom, he is living the Tao because that is the sound of one hand clapping. <laughs> That's actually one of my favorite bits from Thirty Rock. Uh, Jack is looking out uh, from his penthouse, or maybe it's in Liz Lemon's office, and he sees a man like across in the other building, like violently pleasuring himself. <laughs> it's like you know it's like you know uh you can't have it all lemon well except for that guy clearly that guy knows exactly how to live the dream <laughs> <laughs> i i just the idea of someone violently pleasuring themselves is a funny <laughs> one to me like that's that's just not the kind of i mean clearly that's what brock was doing it's just not something that you associate very often i mean I, unless you're david carradine Oh, too soon. Uh, that one gets me a little choked up. <laughs> Vod, is this above your pay grade? No, no. I just I closed the door on that one a long time ago. And never looked back. <laughs> yeah, but all it takes is a, uh, a hotel employee to open that door back up. Hey, motel. <laughs> <laughs> Please so, tell me that there was like an NXS CD in the, the player at the time. Like, I got to tell you, man, people like breath play is really, really like dangerous, man. Like, I know, I know that some people really, really, really like it. But I, I am <laughs> to see that, uh, you know, like it, there are ways to do it safely. And uh just well, you know who was really into breath play? Uh, <laughs> uh, I thought you were going to say uh, Charlie Parker or Louis Armstrong. Also, yes, that that's valid. No, I was I was going to Dizzy the Gillespie. Why, why do you think they called him Dizzy? <laughs> right. So they are. Oh, we, we, we you're not going to finish the best, best PSA I've ever heard in my life. The safe autoerotic asphyxiation. The more you know. Yeah. <laughs> I you thought know. you were about to finish that. Well, 
I, I'm going to let people finish correctly after they uh, Google safe ways to do it. Because uh, you don't want to end up like Gary Busey. Oh. <laughs> That's what Busey. Click. <laughs> so we've got uh, Hank and Dean getting introduced to their coup de gras for the final third, for the third act, for the final third of this episode. They are going to get busy bee hats that have microchips implanted in them. You were wondering why the workers were in bee outfits earlier. Well, it's because they're being mind controlled. And busy bee, I'm oh, sorry, Brisby has been working, developing this mind control technique and it's put into the hats. These are two prototypes and it makes the boys do whatever they want. Um, Hank and Dean, they still like busy, so they are going to make the perfect test subjects, right? Inside the Brisbane Dome, Venture is hooked up to a lie detector, but he is not awake. Mandalay wakes him up with a swift slap to the face, and Brisby asks Dr. Venture to state his name. Did you guys understand the reference in his reply? No, I did not clock that one. Venture, when he wakes up and they're like, state your name, right? He's hooked up to these, uh, to this, like, uh, like the, the lie detector stuff, right? State your name. He says, Lisa, Carol, Fremont. It like shines the light so that it's dramatically on him. That is the name of the character played by Grace Kelly in Alfred Hitchcock's Rear Window. He has had a psychotic break. And they all stare in disbelief. And this psychotic break is not going anywhere. Now, you know, we're entering the final part of the episode when the cuts start getting really quick. And that starts happening here very shortly. Uh, the drone says uh, he's telling the truth, <laughs> right? They asked him <laughs> what his name was. He lied. And I was like, uh, he's telling the truth. So, back at the motel brock is finishing up per beast explicit description earlier mazov oh. explains that the boys were kidnapped by the oclf the orange county liberation front not by brisby brock asks if she knows where they are we quickly cut back to the gym where hank and dean are now decked out in orange county liberation front gear debbie ted's wife holds up a busy bee dummy, which the boys then proceed to rip the crap out of, like it was like they were rabid dogs attacking a pile of lightly seasoned meat. Um, or the leader, heavily seasoned. Yeah. The leader tells the rest of the OCLF members they will attack these and tonight they all cheer and mark off uh, and walk off. At which point, one of the guys says, those hats really work. Did you turn them all the way up to Patty Hearst? <laughs> Right. So uh, Patty Hearst, for those of our listeners who do not know, was the daughter of media tycoon William Randolph Hearst. I'm sorry, granddaughter of media tycoon William Randolph yes. Hearst. One of the most like if you like think Rupert Murdoch's granddaughter getting kidnapped. Right. That's how that's what a big deal this was. This was an actual thing that happened. She yeah, actually, the, uh, we cover it on the um, Viva uh, Los Muertos. Yeah. Yeah. So, because uh, the, the, who is it? Uh, Patty. Oh, 
Not yeah, Patty. It's not the Vilma analog. It's the Daphne. Daphne, yeah. there we go. And I mean, I've been watching like freaking hours of Scooby Doo lately, and I don't know why that one just like evaded me. But yeah, it's it's the Daphne analog uh, in that whole metaphor. And so we definitely do a a bit of a deeper dive on that. Um, and for fun fact, uh, just to give you some cultural reference, William Randolph Hearst was the guy that they based uh, Charles Foster Kane on. Yeah, from Citizen from, Kane. From Citizen Kane. Like, uh, this dude owned newspapers. He's a big part of the reason uh, marijuana is federally illegal. He's the um, guy behind the Spanish-American War. Yeah. Like, uh, William Randolph Hearst is probably one of the most interesting assholes in history. And very specifically, that phrasing. Um, so... Patty Hearst and her whole journey is equally explicitly fucking bananas. Yeah, she gets kidnapped, taken as a hostage, and then becomes the defining case for Stockholm Syndrome, which is where eventually, after being tortured, she comes to feel sympathy for the, uh, the terrorists and their plight, and then decides, like, at one point, she robs a bank with them while armed. Like she's armed and she's robbing a bank with them and for them. I mean, right. isn't that just like boot camp though? <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, every good army starts with Stockholm syndrome. Right. I, that's actually not far from the truth. Like boot camp's whole purpose is to break you down and rebuild you. Yeah. Bingo. I mean, I, uh, the more, you know, yeah. Um, so brain, they're like, okay, we're going to attack Reasonable Land tonight. And this is where we get our great Debbie moment. This is where Debbie's like, by the way, Ted, I did the Liberation Front's chart. And tonight's a really advantageous day to start a new adventure. Not start a new venture. Plus, Cosmo says that Orange is this year's new black. I just want to point out that this is, what, eight years before that show comes out? Right. Uh, also, um, just, you know... Uh, because for whatever reason, um, Zodiac stuff, uh, astrology, has come back into vogue pretty heavily. And uh, with like, yeah, and Cosmo. Um, but like, you know, for like uh, the, the younger millennials and Gen Z and stuff. And, uh, you know, there's this whole thing about like, you know, 2020 was awful because like Mercury was in retrograde and stuff. And here's the thing. I actually I have a cure for Mercury being in retrograde. Don't believe in that bullshit. <laughs> like, or put more Mercury into your body and you'll be fine. <laughs> right? Don't forget, yeah. kids, you can beat the COVID more by you being know. stupid. <laughs> well, okay. So, uh, it's just the whole idea of astronomy boil down to or not astronomy i'm sorry astrology uh boy being boiled down to this is at some level the universe revolved around you it's like get the fuck out of here go no, on no I, i'm uh i'm gonna go ahead and drop some uh inconvenient truth on you you're not going to change my mind about astrology. you are now going to watch the entire movie and inconvenient truth all right so um Astrology comes from ancient Sumeria, ancient Babylon. And if you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Remember, God lives in the heavens. Remember, the sky god was the over god. 
Duspitar, Jupiter, Zeus, Pater, like, you know, like the, the attributes of Thor, right? They're all this sky god. And since the gods live in the heavens, the heavens must reveal things about the earth. So priests, I, like astrology developed over time, right? And became this very codified set of ways to interpret the world, the same way that kings would have dream readers in their court, right? Well, no, no, see, and I get that. Like, and that's one of the things I, I really like is that, uh, th that's why Jack Parsons is, is, a, is like a historical fetish for me because it's that weird place where science and magic aren't dissimilar things. Because if you think about it, it's all in its very early stages is classifying cause and event. Yeah. You know, cause and, and effect. And humans like, make patterns. We are really good at establishing patterns. Constellations are neat. Looking at stars, wonderful. Thinking that your personality, attitude, and fate is uh, constantly being manipulated by gravitational dark matter, uh, cosmic background radiation, and all of these things in, in, in variables in a specific sense that cause a thing to happen. Like, okay, come on. Like, th th it's too much. Yeah. It's too it, much. It's, I, I don't think, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of like the, the recent resurgence in stones. Like, I mean, that, that, that's cool, I guess. Like, it's good to have a hobby. But just because amethyst is Greek for not drunk doesn't mean it's going to cure your hangover. Yeah, I never understood that. Uh, I had some well, roommates one time. literally thought that it would keep you from getting drunk, which is why they would hold it in their pockets so that they could stick around and drink longer. No, I got this rock and fine. Rock well, says good. That's literally what amethyst means. A meaning un and methyst like methyl alcohol. Amethyst, amethyst means un. Well, yeah, like I could. That, that's just one. Hey, Stevacus, I think you need. No, no, I'm good to drive the chariot home. Okay. Yeah, three rocks. <laughs> one. Oh, per... wait, that explains the British. Uh, they weigh themselves in stones. So they must have gotten big, giant amethyst stones. And it was like. How big, how many stones you needed to fill your pockets up was how heavy you were and your body mass to drunkness. Like, yeah. it all makes sense now. She can get like eight stones drunk. Like, perfect. Rocking it. All right. Standard nice. measurements make so much more sense now. They, I'm sorry, Imperial. Let's not, uh, <laughs> let's not sell the Brits short on their empire. Weights and measurements jokes. We're getting everything in tonight. Yes, indeed. <laughs> So uh, we've got OC, we've got two OCLF sentries keeping watch outside the Orange County Community Center, right? And they're just kind of chatting. One of them has 23's voice, right? And <laughs> the other does not. And they're just kind of talking about their bags. It's like, oh, yeah, your bag has snaps. Mine's got Velcro. Oh, you got one of the new ones. And then Brock bursts out of the undergrowth with a a pole vaulting pole in hand sticks it into the guard's face knocks him down and pole vaults over the barbed wire fence while this thing is is levered 
in the back of the guy's throat. And they are extremely graphic with this moment, with great comedic effect. Do you clock the other guy's reaction to it, though? Yes, dude, <laughs> it was perfect. It was so good. He just points and says, hey! <laughs> like, he doesn't point at Brock. He points at the guy who's on the ground with a pole vaulting pole stuck down his gullet, I'm sure rammed against the back of his skull. Hey! Like, oh, dude. At which point, Maud of Cocktease jumps out of the underbrush and, like, springboards off of his standing shoulders, flips over the fence, and then that was their <laughs> moment. They go to get the X1. The X1, of course, being the thing that the OCLF was after the entire time. They didn't want the boys. They just wanted the ship so they could attack Brisbee land. The X1 is taking off. Brock makes a run for it, leaps, barely misses it. And Molotov catches up. Brock looks up, sees Helper. Helper, who's sitting like R2 right up top, recognizes him and waves. And Molotov's like, you know that robot. <laughs> <laughs> and Brock has this great revelation. He's like, oh yeah, I could just tell Helper to come back with the X1. Makes sense. It's yeah, wonderful. Like if I call him, he's programmed to override the X1 and come back. So Brock calls. What does Helper do? He just, right out of that motherfucker. He just hops out. Yep. <laughs> and then like watching that fool drop the me. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So help like helpers like bulb flashes he jumps out of the jet makes a loud sound when he hits the ground Mato says she'll drive i know where they're going anyway <laughs> okay fun plot point i guess we got that moment so uh from there we're back at the brisby dome and dr venture is still blabbering on but this time he is shirtless under the desk lamps on top of the desk um they say, oh, you know, the truth serum is interacting with quote unquote something in Dr. Venture's system. Uh, and he says, I've always depended on the kindness of strangers, which is a line from the streetcar named Desire, right? And uh, what was it? Busy said, or Bisbee says, like, oh, he's always been a pill popper after all. Uh, and that's when the Orange County Liberation Front bursts into the dome. And we get our another key Disney line here when Bisbee yells, Jiminy Crickets, do something! They come in, the OCLF comes in, throwing orange bombs. Oranges that are actually bombs. They kind of look like the thermal detonators from Star Wars, but they're orange, and they look like oranges, and they're bombs. So I'm glad they've got that theme going for them. Uh, and we start getting this great fight scene. Um, like... They come in, they start laying waste, but the drones after a while start kind of picking back up. And we've got this scene where the drones come flying in. They kind of have the same like a uh, monarch henchman horde powered wings where they could just kind of fly in doing these cool kicks. Um, this is also where we get the single best moment of animation in the entire episode. Did you notice how gorgeous the animation was on the lone guy doing the somersaults across the floor? Oh, dude, and the one guy, like the one guy in the bee costume doing like the the reverse like roundhouse kick. Yeah. 
like gorgeous. The animation on the the bee costume dude was incredible, and it has like down to the little weird like hippy Disney thing on the end of the foot. Yeah, almost kind of looks vaguely susical. Yeah, this is clearly the A team animating this episode. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so everything starts going to chaos, right? Brock and Molotov come in. Brock asks Molotov to help him look for the boys. She's like, no, Brock, I'm here on my own mission, right? I'm only here to help my client. They kiss. She slaps him. She flies off one of those uh, little Batman grappling hooks, like, and uh, Brock walks her go, watches her go off. And then while he's watching her, he's like, I hate to see her go, but I love to watch her leave. He gets tackled by a bee. Uh, Venture wanders out of the room to see the chaos. He walks up to the railing. It's like, what is this? Like he's coming out of his drug induced stupor. And that's when the room behind him explodes. He gets knocked over the railing and he starts to fall. Brock. (laughs) Brock grabs one of the drone workers rivet guns. Remember they were doing construction there earlier. Grabs one of the rivet guns and fires it. It catches Doc on his pant leg, stopping him from falling to his death. (laughs) Then Brock continues to fight. Uh, Brock confronts Mandalay. They kind of crack various body parts. Dr. Venture starts to fall again. And then Brock shoots the rivet gun again, just out to the side, shoots it, and hits Doc's other leg, right, the pants leg, not injuring Doc, but keeping him from falling to his death. Brock then points the rivet gun at Mandalay. And then he says the only words he says the entire episode. Man, I don't even need this job. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's like, yo, I don't even, I just work here. I don't even need this job anymore. And then he walks off. That's that. You were going to get this big fight. No, you're not. No, you're not. So it was like the the, like, the non-fighting joke version of the uh, like the Indiana Jones Indiana the guy Jones. with the knife. Yeah, yep, yep. Yeah. 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 Uh, I, so, I, I guess Mandalay was sick that day. Well, and I want to see like a new James Bond where they totally like you bypass like the big henchman where he's like, you know, I was just doing this for work study and they gave me a raise. Like I'm fucking out. Like, he was just like one of the team Zisu, like you know, <laughs> that got over promoted. <laughs> team Zisu, yeah, yeah. Like maybe a Sui Jorge uh, soundtrack there. <laughs> right. So, so something about somebody quitting a job that it, you don't quite ever there being like a, a an application pro- process for like like who who gets hired as like you know bot like the bodyguard thing like that like james bond villain level bodyguard like that just seems like like you were born into it so just be like man i quit like you're just like, oh oh no you know what i'm gonna build uh a, a linkedin for that like are you looking for a professional number two like who will stick around you know long after your uh you know doomsday button has been pressed you know, do you want a henchman that will go get your, you know, dry cleaning no matter how far it is from your like volcano layer? You know, yeah, I get you. Like, we need to do you need a henchman ad. with metal teeth? 
I mean, obviously, I've got to spice it up to qualifications I actually have, but you, you get the point. So what you're really talking about is a hinged in? Yes. Update up, your resume. to the internet. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, update your resume. Match with local overlords. <laughs> Hot overlord in your area looking to cause panic and mayhem. Only 6.3 miles away. Uh, you know, I don't even know. I thought I blocked girl Hitler on this thing. <laughs> <laughs> she keeps, There's a robot on here who keeps asking me if I want to destroy all humans. It's, hey, baby. it's not even like a real it's just a bot yeah <laughs> just a bot so hey, like doomsday <laughs> right so just then the boys come in now remember they're under brisby's mind control but they're being controlled by the orange county liberation front right they confront brock who once again has to save Dr. Venture with the nail gun as after his pants rip. So he just kind of shoots and saves Dr. Venture from falling. Uh, Brock is trying to get the boys to put down his gun. And Brisby is trying to make his escape. Molotov confronts him. She tells him to turn it over. He knows what it is. And she won't have to kill him. Bisbee responds by catching fire again. <laughs> right? Brock back with the boys, throws down his gun and says, you don't want to shoot me, boys. You know me, right? And you're expecting this really touching moment. And he's like, and you know what I'll do to you if you do. <laughs> I think Hank that's the Dean, part that really gets through to him. <laughs> yeah, Hank and Dean look at each other, kind of confused, at which point Brock walks up, cracks their skulls together. They fall hey, Brock, down. is it okay if I cry? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which snaps them out of their mind control. Uh, Dr. Venture then calls out for help since the final nail didn't hit his pants. It hit his wrist. So he is hanging from the wall by one arm with a Jesus spike through his wrist. Uh, it's like the laziest crucifixion. Yeah, right. Uh, and like, he's surprisingly, I mean, granted, it could be the shock, but he's totally yeah. like calm. Yeah, uh, he, he's very placid. About it. He's like, and he's just like, "Hey, Brock." <laughs> we see this in Victor Echo November as well. Like at this point, Doc is so used to being horribly wounded that it's more of a an inconvenience. Now, it's not a minor inconvenience. It sucks, but he's so comfortable with being mortally wounded at this point that it's more like, hey, hey, hey. It, it, I, that guy has had more like uh, limbs replaced or spliced onto him than fucking apple trees. Right. <laughs> um, Which by the way, if you don't know, that's the only way to propagate apple trees. So the more you know, there's a lot of those moments this episode, we're fucking informative. <laughs> we are informative. We are the podcast equivalent of Dirk Diggler teaching a community college class. I thought you were going to say Dirk gently, but you went straight <laughs> pornographic. So Brock walks over, pulls the rivet out. Doc falls to the ground. 
the boys who are snapped out of their mind control realize just now that they're in Brisbee land. <laughs> and they scream, Dad, you're the best daddy ever. Go Team Venture! In credits. So and, credits. Uh, that's, that's Stockholm Syndrome. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> right. So we do get our stinger right through the episode through the halfway through the credits uh molotov cocktees she's escaped she's driving down the highway she's in a convertible she's talking on the phone she says all went according to plan there were no complications the threat has been neutralized and your package has been secured mr bowie at which point the camera pulls back to reveal lily sitting in the passenger seat of molotov's car contentedly munching on some bamboo so her client was david bowie her mission was retrieving the panda and her tryst with Brock, just an opportunity to fuck with him. So what did we learn about the boys? Well, I think the, the roundup at the end is exactly, you know, what, uh, what you need to know about the boys, right? Because to be honest, the boys don't really come up a whole lot outside of the mind control thing, right? And all you can see is like, they are typical kids like aces on consumerism like they're just like you know the 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 bee hooked them early right um but beyond that like you get a, a taste of their relationship together all right and that's cool but then you get like that you know effervescence of youth like you know again uh for the sake of comedy but now it's turned into character development right like they realize they're in brisbee land they don't care why they have a headache or while they're why they're in these like you know camo green fatigues they're just happy to be in brisbee land hey we woke up in africa hey we woke up in brisbee land like these kids just roll with the punches man like <laughs> yeah i mean it, it, it's uh it's almost bizarre how uh absurd things are mundane to them that way it's like uh DC Comics likes to do it a lot. Where they'll kind of start a comic book in the middle of some story at some point, and you kind of have to piece it together. And as the reader, you're sort of like, oh, "Okay, I, okay, I know where we're at now. All right, we're rolling. I'm good." And that unsettled feeling that you had at the beginning. Now you're like, "All right, we're a few pages in. I'm good." They don't have that unsettled feeling. They always just wake up, page one, ready to go. Yeah. Um, the other one is also then, like you said, with the um, the relationship with dad, how they've got the the the, the Stockholm running. Um, but then we also kind of get from the uh, bit with Brock at the end, we also see who the real parent kind of sort of is that they listen to. Because even in their uh, mind-controlled fugue state, Brock just simply has to talk to them basically to get through enough to slow them down. And I mean, this is meant to be the Disney mind control helmet. I, I got to imagine it's like decent tech. So for that voice just to snap them out, clearly Brock is an influence on them that they listen to semi-regardlessly of what's going on. Well, and a couple uh, of things about Brock. I do that Brock is the only trustworthy person in any scenario. Well, I was going to say a couple of things about Brock Samson in this episode. One... Uh, let's talk about him knocking out the ashtray on the X1 on like the front tire. Right. <laughs> like back like when cars had those kinds of ashtrays. I don't even know if that's a manufacturing feature anymore. 
and and number two, uh, Brock really. Uh, <laughs> I forgot number two. I got really focused on the ashtray thing. <laughs> no, talking about like uh, oh, Brock and his whole uh, just generally speaking badass. So I've got a I've got a proposition. All right, both comic book guys here. Uh, and for general audiences, if you've seen Deadpool 2, uh, you are familiar with Domino and the idea of luck as a super weapon, yeah. like as a super ability. Is is that just what Brock fucking exudes? Is that his aura? Is that that luck parameter where he can no look shoot like a fucking rivet gun and can't, you know, two out of three times catch a pant leg? Yeah, right. <laughs> Where he can just jump out of a like a helicarrier and be like, "I got this." Yeah, like I, there's no plan. Like he even admits to to help her on the way down there. He's like, "Yeah, no, no, we'll be fine. Don't don't do the helicopter thing. I'll I'll figure something out." It's like, <laughs> yeah, you've got nine seconds. Like fucking think. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's how it works. I'm just gonna walk into the middle of the road, pretend like I'm sitting in a car, and then I'm just gonna be inside of a car, like. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's the power of luck. Well, and it was the 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 whole Doc thing, the gag with the with Doc that made me kind of think about that. Like, is his like innate superpower just being the luckiest badass on the planet? That's why he doesn't need a gun. Like, if that was your superpower, would you even carry guns? Did you guys catch the the remake on Dirk Gently a couple of years back on on I BBC? It was great. Oh, dude, it was wonderful. And one of my favorite characters was the uh, the lady that couldn't die. Everything defaulted on her, like just was faulty. A gun pointed at her, like, and she would be holding it, like, and she just fire randomly, da da da, turn it on herself, and it wouldn't fire. Click 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 click. Like the universe just wouldn't let her die. I think that's Brock Sanford. I'm Sounds about right. To, uh, I'm inclined to to follow that logic. <laughs> These. Or maybe it's a Chuck Norris thing. Death doesn't want to get that close to Brock Samson. Death is afraid to, to get like too close to Brock Samson because, yeah, sure, he could kill Brock Samson or Brock could give him a Brock Samsoning. I, I'm that, also that could go either way. To, uh, I'm just inclined to believe as well. Like It's just in this universe, they just can't die in the wrong circumstances. Like it, it, it's gotta, it's gotta fly a certain way. Uh, like for instance, the boys could never have encountered their brutal truth, you know, multiple times, uh, unless that technology had already been in place in this universe. Like, uh, what is it that the monarch says in Victor Echo, no, uh, Victor Echo November? They're impossible to kill, and then like phantom limbs like i can do it right now and he's trying to show off in front of his girlfriend and then proceeds to fail miserably and the monarch's just like told you <laughs> interesting just impossible so um from what we can really gather about the dynamic of the boys and how they work together vod what is it about this episode that makes you feel like this particular episode is both informative, instructive, and foundational to their relationship. 
Well, really, it's just sort of a good base point to jump off at. Like uh, Beast was saying up top, we do sort of have a long block, uh, set of blocks sort of planned out for these guys. And I mean, what's a better way to set the scene than the family vacation to uh, Brisby land? Um, and in, you know, typical venture fa fashion, it's not much of a vacation. There's no enjoying of Brisby land and a bunch of people die. So it seems to me to be like a really good place to just sort of get the, uh, the general vibe of what these, uh, the boys are dealing with and how they deal with it uh, sort of nicely laid out. Absolutely. And when we are considering how, you know, everything that we know about what the boys are going to go through, is there anything about this particular moment in this season that is different from what we're going to see from them later? Well, I mean, this is definitely long before the, 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 the big reveal and long before their reveal to the big reveal and long before their, their individual identities start, you know, kind of flourishing. So while they are their, their you know, separate archetypal, you know, odd couple, they, they still very much are and very noticeably are brothers. Yeah. Um, like just the way that they interact. And I mean, if you've got siblings, you get it. It's this underlying principle of, uh, I can talk shit about this guy. You can't say shit about that guy. Yeah. That's my dude. You can't say shit. I can't. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's that like, you know, very well played underlying, you know, tone, the, the unspoken rule of siblingness or, you know, family familiarity really at that point um, where they have clear problems with each other and they clearly like have the typical bullying. I mean, that one scene <laughs> they will always make me just ah, like with the, the mill and i didn't even do anything like that like i i did actually one time uh i did pin down deep diver and i would do that thing where you get real close but you touch your eye yeah like yeah uh <laughs> so i was trying to explain to my wife what a brother relationship is like my wife has three siblings and they are phenomenal people. Like I got crazy lucky in the in-law department, right? My, in, my brothers, my brother and sisters-in-law are just amazing people. And I was trying to explain to my wife how her relationships with her siblings is of a very different experience than the one that I had with my brother because it was just the two of us and we were in constant competition. And I was explaining to her about the time I got jumped in Indianapolis when I was a kid. We were at, a, we were at Skyfest and uh, yeah, we were down there playing and we were just playing on a baseball diamond with a bunch of other kids. And uh, we were the only white kids there. And at some point the situation just turned nasty and I don't know how it happened or why it happened, but I just got jumped and I was just getting the shit beat out of me mercilessly. And my brother, who is two and a half years younger than me, I think I'm maybe 10 or 11 at this age. So my brother's like seven, eight, right? Jumps in 
starts taking the hits so that he can drag me out and we can run off together before it gets even worse. And I remember, and I remember sitting in the back of the van on our way home. My parents didn't want to leave. They, the fireworks hadn't happened yet, right? So hours so after the fireworks, we get in the car and we're going home. And he and I are both like, we're still like, we're, we're busted up, right? And I remember with him laying his head in my lap and like we both got like black eyes and blood and like our clothes are ripped and like the you know it was one of the few times in my life when we were kids where I said I love you little brother because it didn't need to be said because we were so busy fighting all the time but the second one of us was in trouble the other one was in there in a heartbeat to like, it didn't matter what was going on. Like you protect your brother. Like I get to talk smack about you, but nobody else gets to, you know, it's really funny. I actually, uh, you say that I actually tell, tell deep diver. I tell my little brother that I love him to make him feel really uncomfortable. Like that's <laughs> a palpable silence on the other end of that phone. And, and it is delectable. Like it is of a certain, uh, you know, ambiance, uh, 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 you know, a certain air that that the the silence has a certain inaudible tinge to it that I can't quite place. But like I figured it out one time. Like we were having a hard moment. Like you know, I think we were talking something about mom and you know, deep diver lives on the literally the the opposite end of the country for me. Yeah, so like as far away from you as he can get. Right. Yeah. So we, you know, very much keep up over, you know, phone. We were playing video games for a while and very seldomly we got to have like some serious like family talks and stuff. And, uh, you know, when we, when we do that and like, you know, we kind of wrap it up, you know, I always try to be conscious of that because, you know, life's short. I'm, I'm trying to be more aware of that. So I'm like, man, I love you. And he, he just like, he didn't come out and say like, uh, what? But you could hear it like in his, I love you too, man. I'll talk to you later. Yeah. And so I was like, oh no, this is fucking amazing. All right. <laughs> it's on. Yeah, yeah. no. I uh, feel like, you know, your your comment earlier, Beast, like I'm hundred percent on board with this because that that same dynamic is at play here. But the thing that is most interesting to me about this episode and almost all of season one is that they are not individuals in the same way that you think about most of the other characters. They are a package deal. And they are, for all intents and purposes, a single character. And whatever the story arc is, it's happening to that character of which they are but composite parts. And that is what makes this episode both so much fun and so crucial for our exegesis of the Venture Brothers. Namely, that they are first and foremost the Venture Brothers before they are individuals. Also, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, is there anything else that you guys would like to add before we wrap up this very special episode of Beast is Blossom? Um, Panda's milk contains taurine, 
So if you're really jonesing for a rock star, but you can't find any, but you have a panda, you can get down on some of that panda milk and you might get a little bit of that little wake up. Um, you know, being that you work in like a, an animal service industry in one of the most interesting, and I assume uh, based on what I've seen on Tiger King, exotic pet populated area, that you probably have some access to panda's milk. I don't have access to panda's milk, but in my, my panda milk research, I did find out that if you are looking for the experience but don't have access to an actual panda, uh, cat milk or rodent milk is the closest. Uh, so if you want to try milking a cat, I mean, I can find an exotic cat here in town for sure. Big serval or a little lynx or something like that. We get some like rare cat milk and uh, check that out. See what it's all about. It's meant to be I more watery. So excited about coming to Vegas! Like I cannot <laughs> eat. Like, like Vaughn, you have no idea. Like I'm Never gonna put an exotic I'm gonna bring you table. like a pint of milk. The next time I'm out there, I'm gonna donate the Homelander special to your journey through the seedy milky underbelly <laughs> of las vegas like i because i gotta milk, tell you man do you know how hard it is to get snake milk everything i've ever learned about rat's milk is from the simpsons and I, my impression was that it made your bones brittle and weak <laughs> i i thought that's why was, you only do it in little eyedroppers but the the flavor is amazing uh, but i always drink my malk yeah so that's uh, that's really solid. I can't wait. I can't wait. Uh, guys, on a more personal note, I cannot tell you how thrilled I am to be back recording with you again. Uh, I know that we had an extended break over the holidays and uh, things got real crazy for a hot minute there in January. And uh, obviously... Wait, what happened in January? Oh, uh, really? Uh, they they canceled Bill Cosby. Oh, I I heard about this really big field trip to D.C. I wonder Can how that went. It was it, it was cancel culture. They tried to cancel democracy. So, the uh, with all of that being said, it is genuinely a pleasure to see you guys again and to welcome our listeners back to what is going to be one of the most spectacular nine episode blocks we ever produce leading straight into prom are we uh, are we doing prom after this yeah. this is like yes this is the the, the drum roll to prom Dude, i cannot express it, prom has been my uh, i want you listeners i need you to know he just took his glasses off to wipe away a tear <laughs> <laughs> like my it, prom is the apotheosis it is the ultimate statement it is the revelation of the ventureverse like it is the best of all possible venture worlds all wrapped up into one the there are only a couple episodes that come close one of which is going to be the episode we cover next week and that's going to be the episode that is superior to this very okay episode that we covered today. 
And that is the episode Victor Echo November. That VOD so rightfully and with deep and unabiding insight recommended. But you, dear listeners, did not donate enough. So I need you. (laughs) (laughs) And you wonder why they don't donate. Stop booing them. Uh, They won't learn anything if I don't boo them. (laughs) If you can spare just a little bit, we are actually trying to pick up some slightly better microphones, and we would love your help doing that so we can continue to deliver the better quality content you deserve. For the price of what you could be donating to a starving child in Africa. No, no, I'm expecting more than that. Oh, for twice the price <laughs> of what you could pay for sexual services from Villain, you too can hey, get the hey, pandas hey. milk. I'm expecting you to pay more general. than that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, for less than the price of power in Texas. <laughs> oh, zing! You can they help us exactly what's recorded. Yeah, and you can you can keep the keep the pandas milk of conjectural technologies warm <laughs> and flowing. Yeah, flowing straight into your ear holes from the delicate furry teats of uh, what genus are pandas? I used to dance under that name. <laughs> delicate <Yes>. furry teats. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, this isn't a bad, like, exotic male dancer's name. That really isn't. <laughs> Either way, you're going to be really glad that you had that panda's milk earlier. <laughs> right. Well, friends, once again, thank you so much for joining us. As always, I am your co-host, the inimitable Brock Savage. Samson Savage, yes. It, I don't want to talk about it. Uh, we are joined, as always, by my longtime companda, the lovable... The adorable, the ineffable, the what's uh, 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 the galactic. I was trying to find a good Greek milk pun, so I'm going with galactic, Baron Beast Lamode. And as always, our resident denizen of dinner theater and Twilight of the Gods of Twitter, the veritable social media Gerterdamerum, the man who sees all, knows all. And only responds when he feels like you're worth his time. The Vaudeville. Thank you guys once again for joining us. We look forward to seeing you next week. And the smirk of Zarathustra. The smirked Zarathustra. Yeah. Yeah. Conjectural Technologies is hosted, researched, and produced by Professor Brock Savage. Beast Lamode, and Robobob. Additional research provided by associate producer Audrey Hartburn. Audio engineering by BrickFrog. Reach out to us on Twitter at conjecttech underscore pod or by email at conjecturaltechpodcast at gmail.com. Special thanks to Jackson Public and Doc Hammer, without whom we would not be here. And as always, thanks for listening and go Team Venture! Pew, pew, pew.